live from Happiness Cove. You are listening to Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast with as much heart as Stephanie LaGrosa. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. Happiness Cove, N-O-N-O to that. I'm Jay Fisher. And can't you feel a brand new day? I'm Mike Bloom. <laughs> Good. All three of us had a Marquesas joke right off the top of our heads. Perfect. <laughs> this is what we do. We're nerds, people. <laughs> All right, so we are here to talk about Survivor Palau, and this is going to be the finale where we delve into the, one of the darkest and most depressing ends to a season ever. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at that, and I'm still laughing at the because we're nerds, and I, I like that because every once in a while we do get email where people are like, hey, man, I, I want to hang out with you. You guys seem like cool people, and it's like, you want to hang out with painfully awkward people who just, you know, know weird crap about Survivor? Yeah, we're nerds. We don't hang out. Hang out. <laughs> hey. You come to my house and watch uh, Monty Python episodes. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm only slightly awkward, not painfully awkward. Oh, please. We wouldn't have hired you if you were only slightly awkward. Uh, that's true. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so um, we are about to delve into the finale, the last five or six episodes of Survivor Palau here. And I just want to bring this up. We've been getting a lot of uh, emails about the podcast. We have a lot of people that love the show that write us about it and I, the, the email that I get the most lately is, wow, I love your Amazon and Pearl Islands podcast. They were so funny. I was laughing so hard. But the Palau one isn't quite as funny. And I just wanted to touch on that, that this really isn't a fun or funny season. So it's, I, was, I was kind of uh, thinking about that when I was writing notes for this podcast. How can we, how can we uh, make this one funnier? How can we liven it up a little bit? That's the thing with Palau. You really don't want to liven up the end because it's just not a fun season towards the end. No, our our commentary is very much it's very much crafted around what we feel about a season and, and you know not that we're the be all end all experts. Wait, what am I talking about? We're survivor historians. Of course we're the be all end all of everything. But you know, certain seasons are just funnier than others. Certain seasons lend themselves. I mean, you know, I've always said that I'm a I'm a big defender of Survivor Thailand. I do like that season, but I mean Survivor Thailand is freaking depressing on a lot of a lot of levels because you have a lot of unlikable people kind of going all the way through. You have sexual assault. You have Brian Heidick. Like it's it's not it's not super fun, right? But it's like you got to make the best of it, and we're making the best of Palau, and and we like Palau, which is a step up from say All Stars. But you know the season the season holds up over time, but it doesn't hold up because it's so bubbly happy, and and if you don't know exhibit a is these last few episodes i mean holy crap this is like heart of darkness stuff going in right now yeah where we we go from janu quitting to stephanie's dreams getting crushed to the three episode arc of ian just completely destroying his game <laughs> ian destroying his game but but let's not forget karen and how awesome she is <laughs> <sighs> holy shit mike oh, it, it's funny as I'm watching the end of this season, the thing that, that strikes me the most is I bet everyone went into counseling after the season. I mean, I know <laughs> yeah. that's one of the things that you think that's a joke, but I know that's one of the things that Survivor players are required to do. And that goes all the way back to season one, that they're required to go through professional debriefing and counseling after Survivor because it just takes so much out of you. And and I, there's no season I think that that, that uh, exhibits itself more than Palau, except for maybe All-Stars for obvious reasons. But yeah, you just watch the end of this one. I mean... Katie is just wrecked. Ian is just wrecked. Tom has gone through the ringer. They're just all messed up, and it's it's just it's a it's a mess. It's a mess. But again, you know, Survivor messes people up uh, always, and and that's not necessarily a new thing. Here's my question that I posit to you: because Karor won so much, and because you know the core people, I mean, it at the end here, it's just all Karor, right? So. 
they never swapped tribes. They never, you know, merged this. I mean, they basically were a unit up until Stephanie arrives briefly for a couple days. And then they just whittle down to nothing. Like, just for the fact that they stayed in the same spot, we saw the same people day after day. Do you think that added to, you know, just the, the stress of it or, or what? I think so. And it also made probably made the betrayals harder to take yeah. in because they'd yeah. been... Because that's the thing. You watch the season and Tom... Ian and Katie all get to the end, just like they planned on day one. So you think it's a very predictable path, but their arc is very murky towards the end. They don't really get there as a threesome. It just kind of happens that they got there as a threesome. It's yeah, it's, yeah, it's just, I think the betrayals were much harder because they had much longer to trust each other and be friends. Yeah, and I think, especially in that pre-merge phase, I think the fact that they were winning so much really brought them together as a family, probably a lot more than a lot of tribes we see, especially in modern Survivor Granted, you had Kobe kind of on the outs that was griping at everyone the, the whole time. But, I mean, we'll get to it starting with, like, the Greg episode. Uh, they, I mean, they are so heartbroken over blindsiding someone like Greg. And you can tell that these people formed a really tight-knit community being together for 20-plus-odd days. And this, it's, it's, it's only going to get harder as they go further and further. And people's feelings start getting hurt. And certain people fall to their knees on the beach begging for forgiveness. But we'll get to that later. And just the last thing I wanted to say is that this is something I've been writing about <clears throat> for many years, that Survivor is a horrible game. I mean, we love watching it. We love writing about it and talking about it. But it, at its core, it's a horrible game that does horrible things to people. And we're just about to delve into that right now. <laughs> All right. So here we go. We're going to start with episode 10. This is the uh, Janu quitting episode. And I believe what has just happened? Uh, Kobe just was voted out and nobody told Janu and she's kind of annoyed about that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, and isn't there, I mean, doesn't this episode start off with, you know, them bashing Janu and she's pissed, or was that an episode previous? It's, no, yeah. it, it's close enough that it's basically the start of the episode where they're kind of talking about her when she's, like, on uh, right there, if I recall. Yeah, uh, basically the the summary of Katie's insults towards Janu while her and Jenna are in the water about 10 feet away or that yeah. uh, this isn't this isn't summer camp and Janu's like putting on a performance throughout this entire scene Katie's able to compare Janu to a jack-o'-lantern a jack-in-the-box and a scary clown <laughs> if nothing else Katie is a good thesaurus <laughs> those three things together is probably the most frightening child's nightmare ever <laughs> So so Janu is a child's most frightening nightmare ever, is what you're saying. Yeah, Janu is the subject for the next Stephen King novel. <laughs> Can't sleep. Janu will eat me. Can't sleep. <laughs> Janu will eat me. If you should die before you <laughs> wake. <laughs> beep, beep, Katie. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, Katie and Janu, this is where they have their big blowout, right? Where, you know, Katie's been talking crap about Janu. Janu's like, what is this junior high, Katie? What are you, Saturday Night Live? You're the comedian? And this is where they have uh, – I forget if this is the first blowout between Katie and somebody, but it will not be the last because Karen – oh, no, Karen was first in this, right? Yeah, this, uh, yeah we, had, we had Stickgate before Stickgate. this. And, so I think – but I think this is like I, – I don't know if it's necessarily a blowout because like I think it's more just Janu yelling at Katie and Katie's not even firing back. Like she's attempting to apologize, but then Janu says like, nope, you don't need to apologize. It's just who you are. Bye. All right. <laughs> it's not quite, I will always wave my finger in your face, but it gets the job done. It does get the job done. <laughs> All right. So uh, we have a little quote here. Um, one guy I've been talking about on this podcast who's kind of a, an underrated figure in, in Survivor history is Greg, 
in Palau. And he has a great quote here that I just wanted to highlight because uh, um, he talks about how, you know, the fans, the other players love to say that people aren't deserving to be there. Deserving is a word that comes up in Survivor. And Greg has a great quote here. If you have a role in my strategy, you deserve to be here to help me win a million dollars, which is it's, it's kind of like those Burton quotes we pointed out in Pearl Islands that were really kind of clever and, and made you look at the game differently. But I just it's just one of those quotes that I think is needed to be highlighted. Yeah, Greg, Greg's an interesting one. I think we're going to talk a bit more about Greg here in this episode, so I don't want to unload everything. But Greg is certainly good at theory crafting Survivor when he was out there. He was he wasn't necessarily a soundbite machine, and he 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 didn't you know it was, he was one of those guys where he he had a, a tight relationship with Jen. He did well in challenges. He, you know, he was extremely smart, and he probably said the smartest things out there with a lot of things uh, dealing with strategy elements of Survivor. But it's not all going to go his way. And it's interesting comparing this episode to the episode in Amazon. I believe it's episode four, the the Shauna wants to quit episode, and how Greg and Dina are both implementing the same sort of strategy of like, we need this person as a vote, so let's drag him along. And then, you know, we'll talk about this at the end of the episode, obviously, with Janu quitting and claiming that she made a power play. But it's interesting how that, that type of risky strategy can, com- can completely backfire and blow up in your face as well. All right, so let's race through this episode because there's some interesting stuff coming up here. Um, you got the reward challenge. This is the one where they team up and they have to swim out and pull the the flags and stuff. Is that this one? They have to they have to build a like metallic tower building up to a flag, and it looks pretty exhausting. And thank God in Modern Survivor that teams have colors because this was Jeff. Jeff the whole time was just screaming out people, a team of people's names. So all, every piece of Jeff commentary was Steph, Ian, Katie, Jen doing this, Greg, Tom, Janu, Karen doing this. And it's just like, it, that, was, that was really getting in my head. It was not fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the winning team is the Tom, Greg, Karen, Janu team, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they win the reward. They get to go to a feast, which, as Janu pointed out, was made up of Epicurean delights. And, uh, and then Janu, already proving to be a buzzkill to everybody, is the one who pukes because she eats too much food. So she's proving once again she's no fun to be around. Do you think that the Palauan village was vetted by the Survivor people before this time? Like, you know, they, they were over there. They're like, okay, so you're going to host uh, some, some, some weirdo, stinky Americans? Okay, <laughs> what, what are you going to feed them? Because uh, the last season we did this, um, yeah. holy shit, there was some bad food in there, dude. I mean, do you, do you have – oh, you have corn. Oh, you're actually going to cook your chicken? Okay. Your ribs? Okay, cool. No, no, no. Okay, cool. We'll bring them. What's the Palauan version of kava? <laughs> it was it was vetted in the sense that Ian drove his Corvette there. <laughs> there's a, <laughs> there's also that, and then they, the, the Palauans were like, "Well, we were going to make him do some business with a pig." And they were like, "No, no, 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 no. We did that. We've done that. We've done that already." <laughs> yeah, we're good. We're full of pigs. No, 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 pig. Do we love to troll people that don't even know what's going on? No, you, we we did that already. <laughs> Okay, so they win the reward, they bring it back to camp, and this is where Janu comes and she takes seconds on her dessert when they bring it back and she takes everyone else's food. Yeah, this 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 episode is just I you know, Survivor tends to with their quitters, they tend to either completely throw them under the bus like Nyanka in in uh in Nicaragua or they just completely hide them like Purple Kelly in, in Nicaragua for example. This is Janu's an example of both. Like we barely have seen Janu up to this point, but this episode is just the editors 
throwing Janu under the bus every opportunity. She went from yelling at Katie to puking at the reward to now let's not eating forget dessert. The, let's not forget they showed lots of shots of her during the challenge, just like barely able to like tread water. Yeah. You know, and Jeff being discussed like, Janu, oh, you can't do anything. And I mean, it was re- it's really rare for Jeff Probst to yell at a woman in a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is the let's bury Janu episode. So she comes back. She's had a reward. They bring the food back to camp to all the starving people. And Janu, right in front of the starving people, eats their food as well, which is a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful character moment. There's that. It's a good haul. It's something that doesn't happen so much in Survivor anymore, probably because they don't have as many rewards like this where they go to a village and whatnot. But the whole sneaking food and bringing it back, that's always I'm not going to say it's a good or necessary part of the show. It really isn't. It's just it's something that that older episodes have. Well, they're yep. too busy hunting for idle clues. Well, there's that, too. <laughs> All right, so now we are up to the immunity challenge in the Janu Quits episode. This is one of my favorite challenges in the season. Oh, yeah. And it's one that's always particularly scary to watch because, I mean, and of all the challenges that the players have done, this is one of the more frightening ones. And, and Jeff even flat out says when he's introducing it that Panic is a important player in this challenge. This is where they lie uh, underneath the grates in the water, right? And they, they're looking <laughs> straight up. And then as the tide rises, it takes away their air until they can't breathe anymore. And so it's basically whoever can go the longest without panicking and stay there underwater and trying to breathe will win immunity. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, and this is the one just particularly frightening to watch. Uh, and then a kind of a historic moment in Survivor history here. And we will hear a lot more about this place later. But Jeff says... All right, there's this place called Exile Island we're going to invent. And the first person out of this challenge, whoever's the biggest pussy, has to go live on Exile Island for the night. So I've, uh, you know, there's obviously been a lot of theory among Survivor fans that Exile Island was created ad hoc right there on the beach by the producers after seeing how interesting the Stephanie Tribe of One dynamic was. Do you guys think that's a credible theory? It's a decent theory. It doesn't seem like something they would have organically planned. <laughs> I mean, I think anything with Stephanie was just inherently more interesting. So, like, yeah, let, we like that. Let's do that again. I can buy that theory. You can buy it. I mean, you know, the the counterbalance is they say the first person eliminated from the challenge is going to go. So, you know that the odds are pretty high that, I mean, it seems like the odds are high that Janu might be the first one out of the challenge. And if she's not, you know, maybe you're hoping maybe Tom or Ian will go because they'll give you a good soundbite or, or Steph again, you know, oh, I'm alone again, you know, or something like that. <laughs> but but the three of them are pretty strong. They're they're probably going to last a little bit further. So it's like if you don't get Janu, then then possibly you could have Karen going. Uh, in, in, which, in, in which case, if Karen's the first one out of this challenge, does Exile Island ever return ever? I think if Karen's the first one out of this challenge, the boat never comes back to pick her up. <laughs> Yeah, Karen doesn't return ever. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that Janu got sent there, who was one of the worst choices from a TV perspective. I mean, it's just, there's not really any story there. Okay, Janu went to Exile Island. How's this going to help the season? Well, it, it, I mean, I, I think it's all leading up to Janu's quit. Like, do you think that they knew she was ready to go, ready to teeter, and, uh, you know, just give her a push? I don't know. I think maybe they just thought Stephanie had such bad luck she'd end up there again. They just wanted more dark clouds over Stephanie's head. There's no way that Oolong will beat any Karor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so they get out there, and Janu is the first one out of the challenge, not because she panics, but because the water's too cold. 
Yeah, she's out after six minutes. And this is, I don't know whether I would call this a Jeff Probst dick moment or a Karor dick moment, because like, as soon as this challenge starts, we also get a lot of quips from, uh, significantly enough, the final three of Katie, Ian, and Tom. They're all cracking jokes about like, a man walks into a bar and Tom's saying, you know, I, I want to step out of this challenge just so I can get away from these people. And after uh, after Janu gets out, it's it's edited to look like they all laugh at her after she leaves. I don't know if that's the case, but Jeff admonishes them for it. I'm pretty sure Katie laughed at her. But yeah, that's the thing. You don't know what the editing was, what they, if they were really laughing. But yeah, Jeff does call them out on it, and which is kind of an odd thing considering that you know Tom is among that bunch. That is, I don't know if he's visibly laughing, but he's certainly cracking jokes, like you said. Yeah, and we, and we do get a nice little James Miller reference where uh, Jeff asks Katie, glad it's her, not you, and Katie does a little, hell yeah, Jeff. <laughs> Even they knew the comedy potential of James at the time. Yeah. All right, so anyway, we get this great immunity challenge. It's exciting to watch, and at the end, Tom wins with the ever-popular hand snorkel where you hold your hands above the grate and kind of make a little snorkel out of it. So Tom wins immunity. Uh, Janu is sent to the, be the first person ever to go to Exile Island. And uh, this is where we get the whole, you know, Janu learns to make fire and spin around on her own theme, which, which I guess is very important to Janu. I don't know if it's really that important to the, the season. Mm-hmm. Well, it's tough. I mean, Janu has been in a place, and, and for better or for worse, I mean, I know that we're piling on Janu and, you know, that's all fun and everything like that. But it's very clear that Janu hasn't had a lot of fun out there. And not only has she not had a lot of fun, she's physically down in the dumps and she's mentally down in the dumps. The only person that she sort of connected with out there with was Kobe and he's gone. So she's feeling alone. She's feeling alienated. She, you know, had a blow up with Katie because she knows that they're making fun of her. And, you know, she gets out to this place and it's like being out there alone. I mean, yeah. Okay. She made fire. It's not the hugest deal on planet earth, but it's like, I think she mentally at least got a little bit of clarity. And I I think that that's okay. And I, I mean, I don't know if, if the survivor people intended for Janu to, you know, suddenly get some clarity, but it's like, you know, Janu, have some time to yourself. Maybe, maybe you want to quit and leave Stephanie in the game. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm not saying I'm just saying. I do love the moment when she builds fire because she twirls around like Julie Andrews in the sound of music. She is just like Julie Andrews. (laughs) She she is like Julie Andrews in any way, every way. And I mean, the Nazis were chasing her the rest of the time. (laughs) Okay, so Janude has her little moment where she gets to spin around, and then she comes back, and now we're going to have the all-important vote tonight. Who's going home, Janude or Stephanie? And this is a, a very kind of a controversial moment in Survivor history. A lot of people wanted to hear our opinions on this, uh, but we'll lead up to that in a second, where basically Tom wants Janude out. He does no interest in Janude. Greg wants Stephanie out because Stephanie's dangerous and he needs Janu as a, as a uh, vote for his overthrow. So it's basically going to come down to who, who is really calling the shots here, Tom or Greg. And uh, it's kind of interesting because the thing that Greg, the thing that I've always liked about Greg besides his good sound bites is he's, he's watching the story develop from a TV perspective, which is again, is one of those kind of fourth wall type of things you didn't see a lot of in the early seasons where Greg says that, you know, Stephanie is a story developing that we need to put an end to. Like, he's thinking of this, what it's going to be on TV. He doesn't want this to be the Stephanie season. He can see if she comes back and has this comeback, it's going to be the greatest season ever, and no one else will get any airtime ever. So I just think that's kind of interesting. He kind of breaks the fourth wall there and thinks of this as a TV show. 
Yeah, and I, I wonder if this set the dominoes for what's going to happen in a couple of episodes. Uh, because, again, not to fast forward too much to that Greg Boot episode, but once Greg kind of wins the reward and brings Jen and Katie along, this is when the pieces start to form in Tom's head that, like, oh, I am not running the game anymore. Greg is. So like you said, Mario, I think the fact that everyone kind of sided with Greg in this vote might have hinted to Tom and Ian a bit that you are not the one in charge of this alliance. You're not the one that people are ultimately following. Yeah. It's weird because Janu does call this a power play, and it is a power play. It's not necessarily a power play from her, but, you know, you're right. Coming into this vote, it's either Stephanie or it's Janu, and Greg wants Stephanie and Tom wants Janu. And, and I mean, I want you to know, I mean, it, it's there that Stephanie's going to go home. Yeah. yeah it's one of, I was going to say it's one of those things where you look at at, at Palau just at, at the big picture that Tom runs the game the entire way and he's dominant. And it's really not the case. I mean, there's many times along the way where it seems like he's about to get knocked off. And I don't think that's just editing. I think he legitimately was in danger and just he got some lucky breaks. And this is one right here. This is a huge lucky break for Tom because, again, he really is not calling the shots here. First of all, you can't win this game without getting lucky breaks. No winner. I mean, I, I would have I would have it hard pressed for any winner to say, well, I had no luck go my way at all. I, you know, I had to do everything. And, you know, a lot of people value, you know, and especially in more modern seasons where everything is sort of, you know, it's very strategy heavy. I mean, the game is strategy. I get that. But at its core, the game is to get people to like you enough to vote you a million dollars. And Tom had been doing a great job at that so far. People loved Tom out there. They saw him as a leader. They saw him as like a rock. But because they see him in such great light, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are controlling every vote and doing everything. And I mean, he was, you know, a figurehead at Karor when they didn't really have to make any decisions. And Willard seemed like a pretty unanimous, well, we just vote Willard out, you know, and, and nobody liked Kobe. But it's like now we're starting to get a little bit of dichotomy in what people want to do. And notice that it's not going Tom's way right away. Yep. Yep. So anyway, so Janu comes back to camp. <clears throat> Everybody greets her. They're like, oh, Janu, it's so great to have you here. And she's like, you were just laughing at me when I got voted out of the challenge. And she's like, I hate these people. She just hates, thinks they're fake. And this is going to become really important in about five minutes here when they go to tribal council. And I love that. I just love the exchange of, you know, she gets off the boat and everyone's like, oh, how was it? She goes, oh, it was great. <laughs> such a weird response and then she said that after winning the, winning the reward it seemed like she had a worse time winning the reward and going to the Palawan feast than she did on Exile Island do you like some of them though they're like how, how was it and she's like it was great and you can see them they're all like really <laughs> <laughs> sounds awesome all right, so we're getting ready for Tribal Council here, and this is where a soundbite that they love to use during the season in the promos where Stephanie says, they're all saying it's going to be Janu tonight, but for some reason I think it's me. And her instincts are dead on. She's absolutely correct that this is the blindside Stephanie episode. It's just about to happen. Yeah, and I mean, we, we talked in the beginning about, you know, the, specifically the end of this season is not very happy. I mean, this Tribal Council is a prime example when you have... Janu, on the one hand, expressing her wants to get out of the game. And on the other hand, you have Stephanie breaking down in front of the whole tribe, frustrated that they're about to vote her out. It's, it is not a clean sight on either end. It isn't. But, you know, again, it, it forces you, the viewer, to look. I mean, we, the viewer, loved Stephanie at the time. And so we're siding with Stephanie. But to take a step back, to watch it on a rewatch all these years later, to look at it from another perspective, this is one of these things where... 
you look at it and, you know, Stephanie's saying Janu doesn't deserve to be here because she's weak. She doesn't want to play anymore. She, you know, and I want to play. I want to be. I mean, Stephanie's the ultimate gamer, right? Like, she wants to go. She wants to game. But then remember Greg's soundbite that Mario mentioned earlier where he's like, if you have a if you have a part in my strategy, you deserve to be here. Deserving means nothing in this game. There is yeah. no such thing as deserve in this game. There is none. Well, what I love is Stephanie keeps saying that Janu doesn't want to be here. There's no reason for her to keep her here, and and Janu's agreeing with it. Oh yeah, there's no reason for me to be here. They can vote me out. <laughs> it's just funny that uh, Janu totally agrees with Stephanie. Yeah, it's a and then it's a weird situation because you have. I mean, it's it's such atypical to Survivor. Survivor, it's usually, you know, the, the rest of the tribe is saying, oh, no, we, we need to get rid of this people and the, this person. And the person saying, no, don't get rid of me. This, I, Please keep me in the game. I'm so valuable. And this is a completely flip-flop situation where, like, Janu's like, oh, I can go home. But everyone else is like, oh, no, Janu, you're so important. We really need you here. You're a great member of the tribe. It's so such a weird, bizarro episode. <laughs> And this, of course, leads to the question that I know everyone wants to know about this episode. Did Probst talk Janu into quitting? That's the thing. A lot of people, this has been one of the kind of black marks against Palau over the years, that they think Probst stuck his nose in there and basically manipulated the game so they could save Stephanie. He basically talked Janu into quitting just so they could keep their meal ticket around. And that, I mean, I have kind of mixed feelings on this. I'm curious what you guys think. Do you think... A, Janu would have quit without Probes needling her, and B, do you think Probes kind of overstepped his boundaries here and, and influenced the game? <sighs> Loaded question. Um, I guess I'll go first since I'm the guinea pig and you guys can destroy me later <laughs> and uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, I think, yes, in a way, Jeff Probes talked Janu into quitting, but I don't think... Janu wanted to quit. I don't think Janu didn't think she wanted to quit. And then Probst opened his mouth and she's like, wait a minute. You're right. I do want to quit. Like, I think she wanted to quit the whole time. But I don't know if Janu knew that she could. And I think that's the difference between Survivor Palau and Survivor Amazon is that, you know, Shauna wanted to quit back in that time. But I mean, I don't think that she thought she could. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that that's it wasn't an option back then. Like it wasn't something where people were like, yeah, I can just literally just, you know, stand up and say I'm out. I quit. See you guys later. Like I think they were like I'm here until they vote me out and so I'll just, you know, have to struggle through it. And I think that, you know, even though that we had the precedent of Austin quitting in Pearl Islands and then the two uh, quits in All-Stars, there were weird circumstances going on there. First of all, Austin's quit was barely a quit because his tribe was going to tribal council and they had to vote somebody out and he was just like, well, vote me out. So they were going to vote him out anyway. This wasn't some weird strategy sort of thing. And then we had the two bizarre quits in in All-Stars for for other reasons themselves. But I mean, Janu wants to, wants to quit, but the tribe is not going to vote her out. And I think that with Probst talking to her, he basically, in his talking, basically is telling her, not directly, but sort of indirectly, look, if you want to quit, just tell me you want to quit. You can quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I, I yeah. think that that's really the, the crux of the matter. Not that I don't, I'm not saying Probst convinced her to quit, but I think Probst let her know that she could. Yeah, I I completely agree. I feel the exact same way, Jay. I, I like like you just said. I do feel like that Probes definitely played a part. I mean, he is the moderator of Tribal Council, and if you have to think about it from his perspective too. Like, granted, he wasn't a producer yet, but from like a whole editing perspective, do you really think it was going to reflect well on the season to have this episode show where your fan, where your underdog, your fan favorite gets voted out in lieu of the big alliance keeping around a per, a person that is 
blatantly expressing that they want to leave the game and that they know will be a throwaway vote and will be gone next episode. It really doesn't reflect well on TV. So I can understand from that perspective to like he would he would want to at least step in a little bit. But I I agree, at least from watching this point of it, you know, tribal council runs for hours at a time. I don't know what was said outside mm-hmm. uh, when the cameras mm-hmm. weren't rolling. Who knows? Jeff could have regaled the rest of the tribe for not letting Janu quit. But from what we saw, I really did not see much that let Janu do it. Other than, like you said, Jay, Jeff kind of gave the final word of like, Janu, if you want to, you can quit. And it seemed like that was kind of a trigger in her head of like, oh, if I can really do this. Plus, this was also the first post-merge quit. And mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if Janu or any of them knew, would she still be a member of the jury? Would she forfeit her prize money? What happened then? And I think when she kind of knew, oh, you'll still be on the jury and you have the ability to quit, then it was like, okay, I can do this. Let me do it. Now, have you heard the rumors that the cameras were turned off and they kind of discussed that in that exact issue? I'm not sure if you guys heard about this. No. Yeah, I've, there's I've, a, I've heard something about this, yeah. Yeah, there's a rumor that Janu wanted to quit, but she also wanted to be on the jury. She wanted to make sure she wasn't going to forfeit any money. She, wasn't, she wanted to be there the rest of the game. And so what I suspect, just from what I've, hear, I've heard, is that she wanted to quit, but she also would only do it if there was some clarification over what the rules were first. And I, I've heard that they had to stop the cameras and talk about it, whether she'd be on the jury. And I think... Once they decided, yeah, you'll still be allowed on the jury, I think they probably turned the cameras back on. And that's when we kind of get that stilted dialogue at the end where Jeff basically has to talk her into it because he's just wording it in a way that it would be acceptable to her. But I think my suspicion is she was always going to quit, yeah. but she just wasn't going to do it until they had a little uh, off-camera clarification first. Well, again, I think that lends to what I was saying earlier with the fact that she wanted to quit. Probst didn't talk her into quitting. Yeah, but he let you know whether it was off camera, and you know, obviously, I'm I'm well aware that we see nine minutes of a tribal council that lasts what three hours usually. Yeah. So you know, I I know that we're getting just a very very abbreviated version, and you know, probably isn't actually what happened. But from what we see on the TV, to me, it just looks like once Probst is basically saying you can quit, it is an option. She's like, that's the that's what I want. That's it because yeah. that's what she's wanted. But as you said, Mario, I mean. The thing about Survivor, the more seasons we have, the more precedents get set for things. And so, you know, in modern Survivor, we have almost like a quit or a season. And everyone's like, oh, is the game too hard or are the people too stupid or everything? I'm like, I don't think it's any of those, those, those factors. It's just the fact that when you get people quitting and you see people quitting on TV, that gives other people the okay to quit. And it's like they tried to hammer home with Austin, don't quit. And then they had the All-Stars where two people quit. Which, you know, sort of blew up. And it's like, I think they were like, you know, Janu wanted to quit. And they were like, all right. So then they were going to try to hammer her and, you know, make her some example. But it's like now Janu has set the precedent. She's showing that you can quit post-jury post phase and still be on the jury. And it's still Survivor. Yep. And I was going to say, whether you think Probst talked her into it or not, my belief, see, I've always, this is kind of a controversial stance, but I've always been in favor of the producers and hosts being able to steer the show in a direction that would be better TV. So even if you think probes did talk Janu into quitting when she wasn't going to, I don't have any problem with that because Stephanie being in the game is a way better story. It's just one of those. So whether you think he did or not, I don't, I think he had every right to just because that's what you're supposed to do. You want Stephanie in the game. She is the biggest story in the game right now. She's a huge story. Even, I mean, just just watching it play out, you're not watching it on TV, you're just a host. You know, that is a fantastic story. This one girl survived her entire tribe. She spent the night all by herself. She's the only tribe of one ever in Survivor history. I mean, he knows you're going to be rooting for her. So, 
even if he did talk her into it, I don't think it was a problem. I think he had every right to. It's a reality game show. I mean, you know, yeah. I know that people ascribe, I mean, Survivor is a gold standard when it comes to reality game shows. I mean, it, it's certainly in higher esteem than The Apprentice and other shows uh, and, and things like that. But it's like, there are no real hard and fast rules to Survivor. I think the only real rule is, is that the winner will get a, a prize of a million dollars, and that's promised in the contract. And I think that you can't physically assault somebody on the show. And if you do, you're kicked out. Well, they have to be in the attack zone. Well, they're, yeah, it, it, <laughs> unless, if not in the tax zone. But, I, yeah. you know, I think that other than that, I mean, it's like if they get people to go on Survivor and then they basically say, well, we're not voting people off this year. It's just going to be, you know, uh, contests. It's like, well, that's, the, that's how they're going to play the game this year. Like the rules are slightly flexible. And as you see, like with Exile Island, Immunity Idols, all those sorts of things, it's not like there's some hard and fast rules. Like every three days there will be a tribal council and one person will be voted out. I mean, there are so many changes to the rules every year depending on what the television show wants. And because there are these rule changes, everyone's like, oh, Survivor, it's this pure strategy game. It's not pure. It's a reality game show. And they get to do whatever they want with it. And if Jeff Probst is going to talk to people and influence votes, that's what's going to happen. It's, that's, that's, their, that's their prerogative. I will say that Jeff did not make things better for himself at the reunion. And I'm assuming we won't touch too much on the reunion because it's the reunion. But there is a moment <laughs> in the reunion where Jeff says, all right, show of hands, whoever was there that night, did you think that Janu, that I coerced Janu into quitting and like Kopi <laughs> sheepishly waves his hand and Jeff says right nobody yeah we're good okay moving on yes I forgot about that that was so good oh god <laughs> so anyway Janu quits and Stephanie the golden girl lives yet again which is if you like Stephanie this is a fantastic moment if you don't like Stephanie this is a travesty so it's just one of those moments and there's a really fun moment where Janu says, all right, I will lay down my torch to save, to save Stephanie. And Steph just freaks out like, nope, no, you're not. It, just, just to clarify, it's not just because of me. Uh, you're doing it for you so that it doesn't make me build a better case for me to get rid of me, Greg. Don't worry. She's just doing it for herself. <laughs> yeah. Again, I, I like Stephanie. I know she takes so much crap. I think Stephanie's a good character. She's Yeah, I mean, that's a, a, a very smart thing of her to say. She's not just this egomaniac, horrible person that loses the Guatemala vote. She's got some clever, uh, I mean, she, she has some smarts on her. She, that's, a, that's an excellent point she brings up. Like, don't use this as against me in the future, please. I feel like Palau Stephanie is untouchable. Like, Stephanie, no one has really ever in Survivor history said that Stephanie was good at Survivor. You know, <laughs> I never thought she was particularly good at Survivor, but you rooted for her in Palau, like, because mm-hmm. she was the ultimate underdog. She was on Oolong, and they they kept losing. And she seemed like the smartest of, of a really dumb bunch, you know? And, yeah. and not, not only was she the smartest of a dumb bunch, but she had heart, you know? She, she, she had fight. She, she loved the game. And as we who love the show love people who love the game. And she loved it. And so we loved her for it. And so... I never have have made the argument Stephanie was really good at Survivor. I mean, she is she she endears herself to people at least in Palau, not so much in Guatemala, but like she endears herself to people and in this thing and she's good in challenges, she you know does stuff around camp. She you know it's like she has a lot of positive things naturally that some people don't have, but as far as like getting together and thinking things through and you know strategizing on challenges and strategizing at boats, she doesn't really have it, you know. <laughs> 
I will say the next episode just disproves that a little bit because I was surprised when I heard this quote. I don't remember it, but Tom says that Stephanie has great instincts and she's a good survivor. So that's the thing. There's, there is one person who said she's a good player. She just has good instincts when she knows she's in danger. Well, yeah. that, that's, that's fine, but being able to work your way out of it is, is a different thing. You know? That's but, true. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, be, to be fair, Stephanie was always in danger because she was on Oolong. She was always in danger because she was on Oolong. I mean, she did... Oolong is a very weird example, and it's not really a good... It's such a weird yardstick to measure somebody by, because I, I get the feeling that Stephanie really did try. Like, I'm not saying that Stephanie is a, is is innately a horrible player at Survivor. She probably could have been really good. But, I mean, Oolong, I mean, Bobby John, I mean, those people just refused to, like, form alliances and strategize and anything. They just were like, well, we lost. We're going to go to Tribal Council. I, I don't know what's going. I mean, it, it's the most haphazard. It's the worst tribe ever in history, and it's yeah, that, not. It's not necessarily Stephanie's fault, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is one of the the first cases we have in Survivor of someone being dealt an extremely bad hand in the game and them actually failing at it. I mean, you have the cases like Vesepia and Chris, for example, where you can see that they've been dealt bad hands, but they're able to kind of weasel their way through the game and make their way to the finals. Unfortunately, it just didn't work with Stephanie, which is. Again, as we talked about, for TV purposes, was not a fun storyline. But I was thrilled we got her for eleven episodes. Absolutely, I was, I was stunned that she was able to make it two vote, three votes into the merge. You know, considering that she was the biggest target by far, even though she had this loose foursome alliance from day one, she was able to make it a good, I'd say eight, at least like seven or eight more days than she would have. Let's 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 hold off a little bit and table this for a second. Let's get to the next episode because we need to talk a little bit more about Stephanie, but I think this is an interesting thread we're going on here. Yeah, just 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 to to prime the pump, someone asked me the other day, do you think it would have been a big deal if Stephanie would have come back and won Palau? Oh my <laughs> like, god, are you kidding me? You kidding? Holy <laughs> god. It would be that it would have been the best season ever. Yeah, you think the Chris comeback was a big comeback. Wait till you see the reaction to the Stephanie yeah, comeback. A comeback from somebody that people actually kind of liked. Yeah. Like, oh my god. Yeah, exactly. All right, so here we go. We get to have our little Viking funeral for Stephanie. This is the Stephanie episode now. Yeah, but we have an auction. So cool, auction. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, though this first segment, you're right, Mario, is kind of the Viking funeral for Stephanie. You know, you have Tom's trying to play it off to Stephanie that Janu was going to go anyway. And then, you know, Greg's complaining about how he should have voted her off earlier. And then Steph asks Katie the next day if their day one foursome is gone. And Katie really doesn't give her an answer, which, of course, means yes. But then we actually get a really nice, interesting tidbit from Tom. And this kind of hints at what we were talking about earlier of the Tom versus Greg storyline, where Tom knows that once Stephanie's gone, he's gone a couple of votes afterwards. And we'll see this and in the next episode that Tom's going to start going to, into self-preservation mode. And he's going to kind of throw Stephanie under the bus in the process. Yeah, there's a great quote here. You, you t- there's always winner quotes in Survivor. There's also loser quotes. And here's a, here's a loser quote from Greg about Stephanie staying last night. I hope this doesn't come back to haunt us. Because <laughs> that was the moment last night where Greg's alliance could have taken control and they didn't. So Greg is in for some bad luck now. But in Greg's defense, I mean, you're right. That is such a great loser quote. But, I mean, in defense, I mean, this is where Janu actually did throw a wrench in everyone's plans because it's like they tried to keep her. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like they had a vote and then people switched their votes and was like, all right, who who screwed that vote up? No one screwed the vote up. Janu just quit. 
Yeah. I think Greg gets a lot of bad luck. It's I would have to put him on my list of great players that didn't win. He's one that I really doesn't don't think gets enough respect for how close he probably came to winning this season. Greg, I and I, I will apologize to Greg. Greg, I've never met you, I've never talked to you, and we probably never will. But uh I used to underrate or oh, I, I don't even know what the, the proper term is. I used to sort of nothing Greg. Like people would say, Hey, what about Greg and from Palau? And I'd always be like yeah, he talked a great game. Like he always had those great sound bites, but I never really give a lot of lip service to somebody who talks about something and never does anything because ultimately he falls short. But upon a rewatch and upon really sort of looking at this game, Greg did have it at one point. He totally had it. And through no fault of his own, he lost it. Yeah, he set it up perfectly. He didn't screw up. He set it up perfectly. And then the Janu quit happened, and it that took the wind out of his sails, and it's going to go downhill from here. Now, you can say a skilled player can somewhat recover from that, and that may be true, and, and that is some sort of mark. But it's like Greg had this. He totally did. Yeah. Yeah, Katie kind of messes him up later, but yeah, it's – yeah, it's like he didn't really screw up. It's just one of those things. Sometimes it just doesn't work out for you. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the speech you were just talking about where Tom – you know, it's now an individual game, and Tom points out to the rest of the tribe, he's like, you know, players like me, we never win. Don't hold my strength against me. Like, I know I'm a threat. Don't hold it against me. I work very hard to get us all here. Don't just take me out immediately, please. Just remember, players like me don't win, which is a really, they kind of make fun of him later for that speech, but I always thought that was a very clever speech. I just like that, that he kind of uses the history of Survivor in his favor. Speeches like that very rarely work out, mm-hmm. um, but it, it, it is a good speech. I mean, it's always fun. It's it's like Ethan in uh, Survivor All Stars, where he's basically like, you know, they're during the whole "let's get the winners out." Ethan was like, "I would take a winner to the end because no one's going to vote for a winner again." You know, it's like, hey, play with what you know. Yeah, and I, I'm assuming I don't. I granted it wasn't shown, and they weren't really keen to show, showing people talk about previous players out there. But I wonder how much Tom was talking about Colby out there and kind of comparing himself to Colby and how Colby was this big physical force that ended up losing in the end to kind of bring his image down so that people would want to take him to the end. Yeah, I'm sure he did. I mean, if not Colby, someone like Colby that it sounds like he knew Survivor history very well. So I have no doubt he'd be bringing people like that up. Or like or like Boston Rob. Didn't Boston Rob win like four immunity challenges as well? Oh, in All-Stars? Yeah. Yeah. I thought we weren't talking about All-Stars. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, in uh, the, the <laughs> Redemption Island. <laughs> yes. That's the, the superior choice to talk about. Thank you. I can see Tom out there. He's like, you remember Boston Rob in a season that hasn't happened yet. And in fact, I'll be on a season before then. <laughs> well, he was an American hero, so maybe he has that kind of foresight. <laughs> All right. So the, the, this is an interesting thing because Stephanie's pissed now that the guys were going to vote her off. And Katie isn't so much pissed is that she's just a, a savvy player. She wants the guys out of here. So Stephanie and Katie are going to kind of team up here. And this is where it's funny later in the game, you, when, when Katie is berating Ian towards the end of the game, she's like, well, Tom was always on your side. Tom stuck up for you. We were a threesome right here. Katie has a great quote where she's like, you know, Tom, you're the one who said it was, this was an individual game now. So that's what we're playing. Sorry, buddy. And it's, it's always funny to see that Katie was not quite as tight with Tom and Ian as she likes to let on later in the season. No, I would say I think Katie has the choice to make a few power plays in these next few episodes, and it's definitely indicative that she decides to stick with her alliance with Tom and Ian. But yeah, I agree, Mario. She is she is straying far from the leash that Tom and Ian think they have on her. Yeah. 
It's just funny when you watch the end of the season, you realize how much Katie kind of milks that Ian versus Tom stuff because she wasn't there at all with them sometimes. All right, so here we go. This is uh, it is now down to four girls against three guys, and the girls know it. And this is where they form the alliance: Jen, Katie, and Stephanie. And all they need is Karen. Karen, as long as Karen doesn't suck, this would be the perfect power play right here. The four oh, girls can take up the three guys. Oh, that's like saying as long as the sky isn't blue, we're good to go. <laughs> yeah. And then another soundbite that they love to play about Stephanie. She's like, you want to think I'm a threat? I'll show you how threatening I am. Then dun, dun, dun. This is where we go to the reward challenge. So it's a good setup for this episode. All right. And this is as Jay was talking about the food auction. This is a good one. This is a good auction. As Karen says, how fun, 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 fun. <laughs> there were some good items and you know some some good stuff going the way like um you know jen got that uh that awesome looking ice cream thing with the with the pirouettes in there that, that just looked amazing yeah we get we get a nice moment from ian and ian ian in general is very giddy during the auction and this is probably the last time we'll see ian happy for the rest of this season <laughs> uh, but there's a really nice moment where like he hugs jeff and jeff talks about how ian smells and it actually leads to a, uh, a scene later in the episode where Ian decides to wash himself. So there's like, there's fun little moments in this one. And Greg gets to loofah Ian. <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> And Ian drops the quote. It was kind of a Grecian bath, which is one of the more subtle gay jokes you'll ever hear Ian Rosenberger. make. It's <laughs> good. And Ian with the, uh, Ian with the savvy play with the whole, cause you know, Jeff had a lot of those, you know, covered items, right, in, in, in this thing. And, you know, he had the big covered thing and Ian bids it and, you know, with a little bit of money from Greg. And, you know, Jeff's like, or you can trade it for what's in this ammo box. And Ian doesn't take it and he doesn't get the, the dummy crab prize. And he totally wins, like, what, like spaghetti and meat sauce and, and garlic bread? Like, home oh, yeah. run, Ian. And they also get the letters from home, which Tom really wanted because they nourished his soul. They yeah. nourished my soul. <laughs> But then Jenna comes in and says, the New York firefighter stole my letter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, okay, we have the fun little food auction where Ian does well. Ian gets loofed. And then uh, this is where it starts. The, the, after the food auction, it's the battle for Karen. Who's going to get Karen's vote? And Tom very cleverly thinks, you know, I could really use uh, Karen in here as a secret ally on my side because he's worried that the girls are going to take him out. So... He starts buddying up with Karen right about here. So Karen is now the bell of the ball. She's the most popular girl in high school. And what's funny is that this is why Tom is good at Survivor. Is that he's he's laid a lot of groundwork with people and shown himself as a very gregarious, likable person. So he's said a lot of work. But Karen has been a Tom detractor for a lot of times. I mean, you know, we 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 made fun of Karen a bit in the in part one of this plow historians you know where karen was just like oh tom i'm not gonna do what you want tom i mean she really didn't like the fact that they went to the other beach like if there has been one person vocal against specifically tom it's been karen but now tom realizes he needs her and so tom is gonna work on karen and it's gonna work yeah that's the thing i mean she was anti-tom and he just sways her just because i think he said at the reunion show we're the we're the parents of this tribe we have to look out for each other we're the oldest two and and that's the thing. They might not like each other, but they respect each other. And, and he doesn't make her any fake promises. He doesn't make an alliance. He just says, we will look out for each other, which is a very clever thing for, of him to do, a very underrated move by Tom. Yeah, and I think, I think the age difference is definitely a big factor for a, a myriad of reasons. First, that they're closer in age, and Karen obviously would bond better with people like 
him and Willard as opposed to the younger people on the tribe. And B, just the fact that I think with age comes a, a, a certain formality of respect. And I feel like, I mean, look at Katie for an example. She was in her 20s when she played the first time, and she completely treated with Karen with outright disrespect. As, as opposed to, you know, you have Tom, who's 30 years her elder, and he's, you know, he, granted he probably he might not enjoy Karen's presence around camp, but he'll definitely give her the time of day and treat her with this respect. And at the end of the day, that's what earns Karen his loyalty, and that's what earns him her vote at the end. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it's, it's, it's interesting, and, and it's all those things that you mentioned. Like, Karen, uh, probably not the best survivor sense ever. However, she probably realizes that she's on the outs. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. You know, she knows that she's not tight with Tom, Ian, and all those people. She's mentioned that before. And it's not like she had some sort of tight alliance. I think she was buddies with Willard, but he's long gone, right? And so, you know, there was sort of the outcasty sort of people of Kobe, Janu, and Karen, but Kobe and Janu are gone. And so, I mean, Karen's just looking around going, I don't really have anybody that I'm trustworthy with in this game. And whether it was Tom that approached her first or, or not, I mean, we see Tom approaching her, so obviously that's what we as, uh, as, as spectators can sort of go on. But it's like Tom approaches her with just genuine, hey, let's, let's look out for each other in this game. And she probably hadn't had that for a while. Yeah, it comes up at the reunion that she never had an alliance. That was yeah. her strategy. So this is great for Karen. She's like, look, I have no baggage. I have no ties. I'm a free agent. And here comes Tom saying, hey, let's be buddies. So this, I, it's a great for her perspective. I totally forgot about that. Let's, let's put Karen in the Alicia Calloway Hall of Fame of terrible survivor player with the I'm not going to make an alliance strategy. <laughs> Well, it's also interesting because I don't know if they knew that Karen was a lawyer out there, but I'm also sure that Tom wanted to word his deal with Karen very, very carefully because Karen's the type of incendiary person that if you made a deal with her and then you went back on it, I mean, we'll see in, in the episode where she leaves how she fires back at Tom and Ian, even though they had a very loose deal. I can't imagine if they were in an actual alliance and Tom betrayed her and broke his word. Like she, she would burn tribal council down if that happened. Yeah, you don't piss off an angry lawyer. Now, again, I, I will disagree a little. I don't think Karen is a, is a terrible survivor player. I don't think not making alliances is a terrible move. It's just her personality is just abrasive. So you know she's going to be antagonistic. But she actually did pretty well for herself if you look how far she got for like what she actually brought to the table. Well, she did pretty well because Karor never lost. And then as, as Karor crumbled, I mean, Karor was this weird sort of lopsided alliance anyway because there was sort of of the nine people that made up Karor like three were on the outs and then she was the last one and it's like we as we've seen over and over again in Survivor if you're the last surviving person you then all of a sudden become valuable and that's not necessarily through a fault of of your own I I have a real hard time I mean I'm sorry Mario I I just think that if you actively say I'm not going to make an alliance that is a terrible play like there have been people who haven't had you know, solid alliances all the way through. They've, but they've managed to float and attach. Sandra being one, right? But it's like, that's different. That's not what Karen was doing. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure someone said at least one nice thing about Karen on the podcast. Uh, so you've well, conv- you've convinced me, Karen sucks again. Yeah, we've got our, we've got a requisite one compliment about Karen. And can we go back to trashing her? Yeah, Karen sucks. Good, good. <laughs> All right, so now we get to the immunity challenge where the battle for Karen's loyalties has begun. And this is the challenge that I like to call the Coach Benjamin Wade Memorial Challenge, where we toss coconuts underhand at tiles. 
before it before he even came to the show. They 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 were they were they were previewing Coach all the way in Survivor Palau. I sure hope he doesn't die before this is released because that joke won't be funny now. <laughs> well, it produces the produce John Kerhoff's meeting. Like I've heard about this guy who went kayaking in the Amazon. Uh, he's he's done a bunch of crazy stuff. He told me this story. Maybe we should do it. He he's totally boss at underhanding throwing coconuts. Yeah, for those of you who don't get the joke, just wait until we get to Survivor Token Teens, where it's just a plethora of wonderful coach being a jackass moments. Oh my god, we're getting to Token Teens. Someday we will. (laughs) But one of the great moments there is where they have to toss things underhand at tiles, and Jeff's like, none of you have ever done this. Or someone who was it, one of the players says, this is impossible, None none of us have ever done this before, and coach says, I have. Because Coach has to one-up everybody. So. <laughs> so this is the first incarnation of the Coach Wade Memorial Challenge where we toss coconuts underhand at tiles. Yeah, and the, and there's an interesting element to this challenge, which I think exists in the Token Chains one as well, where so everybody has uh, an individually colored tile, and they're out. It's all laid out on a giant grid, uh, and it's outfitted where you throw your coconut, and chances are, unless you have perfect aim like Tom or Ian, you're going to end up hitting somebody else's. So, like, for example, in the first round, Karen has not hit any of her own tiles, but she's somehow in the lead. So that goes to show how crazy this challenge can be. And they're throwing those pretty far when they pull back and you see the whole wide-angle shot. Like, that's not an easy throw. They're tossing these coconuts at a pretty good distance at tiny little targets. No, this is a cool-looking challenge. I wish they did this again, ultimately. Yeah, it's kind of like shuffleboard, right, Jay? Yeah. (laughs) It's like shuffleboard, except it's cooler. All right. Noted. Okay, so... Uh, Ian ends up winning this challenge when Tom accidentally breaks his tile again and an accidental winner, but Ian wins immunity. Tom is vulnerable. And again, for anybody who says Tom was in no danger at any point during Palau, I'd invite you to watch this episode again, because he's in a lot of danger right here. Yeah, th- this is really the first instance when we see Tom go on the defensive and he'll go. I'll, I think he goes on the defensive probably every other episode for the rest of the season, but it's it's interesting because it's clear his like self his his whole speech at the beginning of the episode doesn't work, but it's clear that he has he's capable of a lot more subtle gameplay. And him bringing in Karen is is the keystone uh, for this because I, I won't skip too far ahead because there's a delightful scene about Katie forming the alliance. But I mean, Karen's the the one who blabs about the plan to Tom, and then Tom's <laughs> able to kind of make the counter plan. So like he obviously he made. He made, granted, he made like one decision this episode, but it was an extremely important decision. Yeah, and that's the thing. For years, Tom was kind of lauded as the the one universally respected winner because he never had any challenges. Like he just dominated; he was never in any danger. But the more you watch Palau, I still think he should be one of the most universally lauded winners. But for the exact opposite reasons, I think he overcame a lot of challenges. He really is defensive this last half of this game, and people don't notice that unless they've rewatched it recently. He really has to battle to get to the end here he has to battle but i think that's one of the reasons why people didn't like it because they just saw tom's sort of i mean in a, in a way some of what his defense mechanisms are is a very strong army you know what i mean and it's look it worked and it, it's it's what he did to win and i don't fault him for it but i think you know a lot of people were like well tom turned a little nasty there yeah and again it just a lot of people just just love to trash tom for that well he's a bully he's an asshole he bullies people but like it just goes back to what I said in the intro. Survivor is a horrible game that does horrible things to people. And Tom just happens to be good at it. I mean, that's the thing. That's all I can say. He's, he'll embrace it because it, because it makes you do that, but he just happens to be good at it. So that's what he's going to do. He's going to start strong-arming and getting his way because he's a good player. 
there there are people that I mean, Survivor is not a fair game, and and even going into Survivor Palau with twenty people, you know, in that boat, you know, getting ready to, you know, get to the beach and fight for those two immunity necklaces before the game started, it's not an even playing field. There are people that are naturally better at this game than others. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win or, or, or that the person who, you know, has even more to overcome isn't going to win. But Tom is just naturally good at this game. And then he manages to take that natural advantage and then he uses, you know, some, some hard work and some, some other things in there to propel himself to victory. It's not like he just, you know, just sat back and enjoyed his million dollars. But, you know, Tom is, Tom is, is, is built to play this game, sort of like Stephanie is. You know what I mean? Like, like they are, they're naturally going to be pretty good just on, on the first time out. I mean, second time and third time, I mean, that's all different things all in and of itself, but it's like, you know, Tom's good. Tom is like Vesepia, which is a weird combination, which is a weird comparison, but he's a very good defensive player. He's hard to get out. Yeah, exactly. Like even look at like heroes versus villains. I mean, he was, he was like a, he was able to make it a good like nine or ten days after he was supposed to due to a variety of moves and challenge wins and everything. But I mean, that's still the mark of a good survivor player. And I really do not knock Tom for his performance in Heroes versus Villains. I, I think I think he still has shown that he is a fantastic survivor player. And like you said, Mario, he is great on the defensive. And I, he's not as much of a, a BSer as Chris is, but he's pretty close. And we'll see that a lot, especially in his final Tribal Council. Yeah, he's a much more nuanced player than I remember him as being oh, on yeah. this latest rewatch. I'm like, wow, there's a lot going on with Tom. And he becomes it's it's over the years. He's as you said, Mario. He's become a very sexy pick for you know so, overrated winner or something like that. And it's, it's like really, it's not the case. He he really did a lot this season. And and as you said, it's nuanced. There's a lot of things going on. You really have to look for them. Yeah, and there's even one right here where. You know, they have the rain day. Nobody can talk strategy. Tom is vulnerable. So they all finally get to talk about the vote. Karen runs to him immediately and says, Katie wants you out. Katie's trying to put the women together. Oh, Karen. Yeah. Oh, Karen. What's what's interesting is that Tom, again, Tom, you think he would just say, oh, thank, that's awesome. But Tom's first instinct is to be suspicious. Why is Karen telling me that? Like, what is her alternative? So, again, Tom is thinking on a different level than most people because he doesn't just take that at face value. He's like... What is what is the advantage to Karen in making me know that? So he's even thinking of how this helps her too. It's kind of interesting. And there's a nice little like gossip train that ends up happening over the next five minutes or so, where Car- Katie told Karen, Karen told Tom, Tom tells Ian, Ian goes back to Katie to tell about to talk about what he had heard, and then this gets to the uh, the fantastic, funny one fifteen esque Katie quote. Yes, and. Uh, it would be wonderful if we could get Katie to do the introduction to this like we did Chris, but maybe we could have something along these lines where she says, we can't get a female alliance together because Karen sucks. And again, there's <laughs> if there's ever been a wordsmith in insulting somebody in the earlier seasons of Survivor, it's Katie Gallagher. That was a, just a fantastically succinct quote on why someone, why you do not like someone. Katie is the best. And, and part, of, part of why she's the best is because she just doesn't, she doesn't BS. You know, I mean, she she's gonna just tell you how it is, and 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 that's and that's what's what. Karen sucks. That's it. That's yep. it. There's no more to say. No, to, to, to her credit, Katie does try to. You know, she's trying. The plan isn't exactly dead in the water. As soon as that confessional hits, uh, right after that, she's still trying to talk to Ian, trying to actually convince him 
to turn on Tom. Haha, ha, that'll be really funny in a couple of episodes. Uh, but I, it's really interesting that Katie is like still trying to salvage this plan to get Tom out, and she's really trying to pitch it to Ian. But of course, they get interrupted by Karen. <laughs> I love that Karen sabotages herself twice. Good job, Karen. But yeah, that's the thing. Katie has the vote. She has Karen. If that doesn't work, she has Ian. It could have worked twice. And it's really not to Katie's, I mean, discredit that it didn't work. She tried. I mean, this was a good plan. I mean, Katie is a better player than I remember when I was watching. But yeah, this whole thing could have worked out. It just doesn't because Karen squeals. And then Karen comes and breaks up any any strategy talk they had. And basically, that's kind of it. That's uh, All of a sudden, the overthrow isn't going to happen because now Tom and, Tom's got Karen and that's the vote they needed. And then, okay, so we go to Tribal Council here, and uh, I just noted in my notes, Greg is still trying to end Stephanie's TV story, which is funny. We can't let her take over the season. Yeah, he, called, he says it's uh, too much of the Stephanie show. Yeah, too much of the Stephanie show. And again, he's right. He, he knows exactly what this is going to be if Stephanie wins this game. <clears throat> and so here we go, uh, going to Tribal Council. And this is where, you know, Steph tried her best. She got in with the overthrow. It just didn't happen. And she tells everyone, you know, if people are smart, they're going to get rid of Tom tonight. If they choose to keep him here, that's on them. So another good uh, uh, crystal ball quote about Tom winning right there from Stephanie. And, and with that, this is now Stephanie's last stand where Tom knows Stephanie's after her. Tom's got Karen. Katie comes back into the fold, I believe, with Ian. Or yeah, with I, Greg. Is it the Greg? I forget. It's, I think is it the, the, vote, the vote's unanimous. It's you name. That's right. So everybody teams up to just take out Stephanie. They call, all kind of go back to their default position where uh, we keep Karora strong. So it was all for naught because Karen sucks. Yeah, GG Stephanie. I mean, it, it, it was a sad episode at the time. Again, this is, this is the end of Stephanie's reign. Looking back on it, as you said, Mike, earlier, the fact that she made it to the merge and, and the merge being, you know, the last one from Oolong and then coming over there and surviving a vote. You know, and then two, I guess, with with Janu's quit. But you know, going a few days afterwards, that's pretty good. It's kind of funny that Stephanie takes over the season so much. It's absolutely without question the Stephanie show for the first half. But it's funny that in her boot episode, she's almost a a forgotten character. She's a minor character in her own boot episode because <laughs> it's all Karen, Katie, Ian. I mean, that whole now the whole Karor story is really starting up. Right, but from an editing standpoint, you know, you you've. Her, Stephanie's story was surviving Oolong and then secondarily surviving the Janu quit in a way, you know, just for the fact that, you know, Janu quit to, you know, have Stephanie go further in the game. But it's like, if you're crafting a story based on what actually happened out there, okay, Janu quits, but Stephanie's just summarily voted out 6-1 at the next tribal council, right? So it's like, they just delayed her eviction for three days. Yeah. So... Story-wise, that's not super interesting, right? So it's like Stephanie's had all this interesting stuff, and they they show those milestones that she hit, but it's like they use Stephanie's episode to sort of catapult the whole back half of this game. So it's like she becomes sort of a a victim of her uh, uh, of of this episode, and sort of get tra- sort of gets trampled on. But it's like she had her Viking funeral, as you said, at the very beginning of this episode, and it's like they're then gonna move on around it because her booting is actually not very interesting at all it's very summarily just you know it, it Karor puts themselves on hold almost once gets stephanie out sort of quashes the female alliance and then they're going to go cutthroat for the next uh, next little bit yeah it's funny stephanie's one of those characters 
at the time, I mean, she was just enormously popular. I would argue just as popular as Rupert, maybe even more so. Mm-hmm. That she was like without question overrated at the time, to the point that now no one says anything nice about her. That she's now become some completely underrated as a survivor character. So it's kind of Stephanie's had these huge extremes over the years, and now I watch this and I just think she's a fantastic character. And again, I was not a Stephanie fan at the time. I thought she was overrated because again, that's all you heard was people praising her. But when you watch it now, she added so much to the season. And, like, Oolong just was not that interesting to watch. But you had Stephanie, Bobby, John, James. But Stephanie, again, just rose to the occasion as a character. And, and again, for every bit of praise she gets, she was fantastic in those challenges, hanging with the guys and stuff and keeping, keeping that tribe in the, a lot of the challenges. So she's one of those. Her legacy, I don't think, is where it should be. I think she should be remembered as one of the most popular and, and successful Survivor characters ever because she really was at the time. And, Hopefully we'll get back there one day because I think she was great in this latest rewatch. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the curse of the returning seasons, and I'm sure we'll, we will talk plenty about this in her next season. But it's, uh, I'd st- I don't think Stephanie benefited from immediately hopping onto the next season as well. I think <laughs> she imme- her reputation immediately went cold. But I agree, looking from this season purely from an isolated incident, uh, she was one of, uh, she was one of the, the top three characters. I would say, I would say it, was, it was Tom, Ian, and her were my top three characters from this season just because... It's also like looking back through the history of Survivor, we hadn't really seen this like athletic female, like this this specific archetype because she, not only was she like this athletic younger girl, but she also had a bit of an attitude with her. And that's something we really didn't see in those early seasons of Survivor. So it was, she was kind of the first of her kind in a way. Yeah. And I've always regretted she wasn't on Amazon. Like if you'd replace Shauna with her, put Stephanie on there just as the, the young athletic badass girl. Because Shauna didn't really have the attitude, but Stephanie would have would have added a lot of uh, a lot of uh, anger to some of those male versus female challenges. I think it would have been interesting to see her as a member of Jabaru. I'm I'm sorry. Wait, does Stephanie go, is Stephanie on other seasons? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, no, Stephanie is Stephanie's great in this season, and and again, I, I feel she's untouchable. You can't touch her in Survivor Pullout. She is. She was the first half of the season, and unlike you, Mario, I was a huge Stephanie fan in in Survivor Pullout, and so this was sad that she was voting out, but it was also inevitable, right? It was just one of those things where you rooted and you rooted and you rooted, but you just knew that she wasn't going to make it, and, and she didn't make it. But I think that another thing to go back on the on the rewatch is, like you said, Oolong is not that interesting to watch. You're sort of right. Like you watch Oolong, I can't stress to you guys listening at home enough how bad of a tribe oolong was like when they make those lists of like what's the worst tribe in survivor history like people try to make like a recency bias like oh the brains tribe and bbb or you know oh this tribe it's like oolong was horrifically bad and not because they lost every single immunity challenge and basically got dissolved that in and of itself is incredibly awful but just going back they're not even like bad in a way where you like you watch them and point and laugh like they just do things it's like you just throw up your hands and you're like what am i supposed to do with this as a viewer yeah like they're they're, just terrible they're just a wreck like they're just not doing anything and it's like stephanie's like come on guys let's strategize let's they're just like i what huh oh oolong you're terrible yeah and again a lot of those challenges the only reason they were even close was because stephanie was there it's just one of those things. Like, how were how bad off would they have been without Stephanie? Yeah. Oh, the, uh, monumentally horrible. I mean, it, <laughs> it's always one of those weird things. Like, ah, oh, Stephanie was the MVP. It's like, well, how can you be an MVP of a team that never wins? But it's yes. like, 
On the other hand, yeah, they, they lost a lot of challenges, but without her, they would have ultra-mega lost. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if Karen and Stephanie had switched starting places. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it would, it would have rid us of Karen even earlier, so maybe it'd be a blessing in disguise. <laughs> oh, Mike Wait. just hates those civil rights lawyers. <laughs> Mike Bloom does not care about black people. <laughs> Cue Mike Myers looking stunned. <laughs> That Mike Myers face is like the best ever. But anyway, <laughs> I love it. Uh, but anyway, uh, Rip Steph, you were you were great in in yeah. this season, and, and uh, you probably should say no when they want to put you on the next season. But uh, I have a feeling that I'm going to get shot down. But as as sad as it is for Steph to go, we talked before and really in the beginning of this season podcast about how irregular. Palau is as a season and yeah. honestly I feel like this season does not become a normal season until these last three episodes but oh man <laughs> uh, going back and rewatching these these last three episodes are killer they are, yeah. they are fantastic yeah, I would argue this has just as good an ending as, as Vanuatu does they're, they're really good episodes and yet at the same time they are like I mean oh man is right like you just watch them you're like what am I watching alright goodbye Stephanie we will tip a malt liquor in your honor and a can of Pringles. <laughs> yes, snot rockets. Insert filet mignon pizza joke here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now we get to the meat and potatoes of Survivor Palau. Now it gets fun. This is the Greg episode. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so this is, uh, we start off with uh, Karen being vulnerable now because she knows it's five against one. Nobody likes Karen. She was stirring up trouble last episode. She's burned her bridges with Katie. Tom, for some reason, doesn't trust her, even though she told him the truth. So she's like, I'm in trouble. And uh, this is where Karen goes to Tom and says, you know, Greg and Jen need to be split. They're a couple. Which I'm pretty sure Tom would have figured out by now that they probably need to be split. But this is where it's all going to come down to the power play. Who is really calling the shots on this tribe, Greg or Tom? Yeah, and it's interesting because we're, we're, we've been seeing a very reserved play from Tom for the past couple of rounds. And even in the beginning of this episode, he says, you know, I can't step out of my alliance just to save Karen. She needs to find her own savior. So it's interesting that Tom is really playing with his cards close to his chest. But it's only in this episode when it's sort of out in the open that he is definitely one of the next people to go that he starts saying, OK, now it's time to change up the game. Yep, so here we go. This is where a lot of the drama is going to start. We have the reward challenge. This is the one where they, it's like the, the famous coconut chop from Marquesas and all other seasons where you answer island trivia, and if you get a question right, you get to chop somebody's coconut, which in the Palau version means you pull a lever and it drops their torch towards the water. And this is right before the challenge. This is where it's all going to start going downhill for our young dolphin trainer friend where he promises Katie that if he wins a reward he, in the future, he is going to take her. And again, that that will not work out well for him. <laughs> does he do that this episode? It, it shows up. Yeah. yeah, it shows up in this episode, and then they reference it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah this okay. is where it first yeah. shows up. But there's, I mean, there's a little bits of it at, in this episode. And granted, like this is the first inkling of the the Ian and Katie uh, schism between the two, and it, it's 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 minute, really. It's that Katie. I think that the choice is that like it's against the challenge. Karen's first out, obviously. Uh, then Tom. And then it gets so it's down to Katie, Ian, Jen, and Greg. And Katie, I think, is like pick, picking between Greg and Ian to hit. And Katie ends up picking Greg. And I think that's, and she 
takes out, takes Ian. out Ian. I, Ian. Yeah, and that I think that's the first little shot in that whole little storyline. Because granted, they made the promise beforehand, but to Ian, that means directly that Katie did not want to have him win the, win the reward. Yeah. Well, and also Katie is now kind of choosing her side here that she's actually maybe in with Greg and Jen a little more than she's telling Ian and Tom. Katie's kind of the, 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 the key player here. She's the one that could go with anybody. Mm-hmm. I, guess, yes. I guess now is a good time as any to talk about Katie a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Katie is sneaky good in this season. Yeah. And not just, not just as, a, as, a, as a confessional you know, comedy machine because she is. But, you know, I read an article at the time. I don't know who wrote it and I forgot what site it was, but it was one of those uh, survivor sites. Uh, and it was not written by Mario Lanza. And what? it was written, I know, I'm sorry. But it was written by somebody and they basically made the argument that if you wanted to, if you wanted to, you know, we talked about people to emulate on Survivor, you know, Colby or Richard Hatch or, you know, Brian Heideck or Sepia or, you know, something like that. But this person made the argument after the season that if you really wanted to have a formula to go deep into Survivor, you needed to emulate Katie Gallagher's game. And I remember at the time sort of blowing it off, but I read the article again you know, uh, several times. I think I bookmarked it and read it because it, for a while it just made me mad. But the more I looked at it and the more you digest it, Katie, I mean, she has some advantages going on in the sense that she's not a challenge threat, so people aren't really gunning for her there. Like, she has some things going for her that, you know, somebody like Tom doesn't have. But it's like Katie was able to sidle up with people. She sidled up with Ian and formed a friendship. Then she sidled up with with Ian and Tom. But then she also re- had her options open. She tried to get a girls' alliance going. Like, she couldn't directly affect anything, which is the ultimate fault of Katie. But it's like Katie had options, and not only did she have options, she was willing to exercise said options. And that's really good. Yeah, she jumps back and forth between sides several times. And I know this is never a comparison that never even crossed my mind until you just said that, that... She's not that far off from Sandra. <laughs> no. And that's the thing. Not. They're both horrible in challenges. They're never a threat. They both kind of use their social game to get by. And the thing with Katie is I don't think she realizes that people thought she was being mean. And I think it really kind of towards the end of the game, it really shocks her at the final tribal council that people could have been upset with her because she thought she was doing well with people. She thought that she got along. But that's kind of the thing with Katie and Sandra that – Oh, that's just how they are. Like if they're saying something nasty, that's just how they. That's just how they are. Like you, 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 you kind of don't really hold it against them. That's just what they do. Yeah, and and Katie's going to get railed in the final tribal council because you know people aren't going to look at that, and and people didn't really look at that with Sandra either. But it's like Sandra was up against Lil. Yeah, Lil and Tom. You know, and and, and and Katie's up against Tom. It's like I'm telling you right now. As much as we love Sandra and Sandra Queen Sandra, yes, I'm I'm yeah, Team Sandra. I know, but if Sandra's up against Tom in a final two, yeah, it's a tougher road. You know what I mean? She, she gets crushed. Yeah, yeah. It's it's also about a difference of story as well. I mean, you have yeah. Sandra, who's a a mother, versus Katie, this like girl, Young, this, yep. t- yeah, tart girl in her twenties who mouths off to to half the people in camp. So like, it's it's clear that like even if katie and sandra went up against each other sandra would win 100 percent of the time right yeah. right exactly but you know this this art going back to this article after a while i began to really appreciate that article the article wasn't saying if you want to win survivor be katie yeah but it was basically saying if you want to if you want to know how to get, go deep and like you know last a long time in survivor look at katie's game and try to do that and i was like you know what there's that's that's validity right there that actually holds water it's true, but just to play devil's advocate, you could say the same thing about Russell Hans. Yeah. 
I mean, that's yeah. the thing. That's, but I'm a, I'm a fan of Katie. I don't want to compare her to Russell. I think she's a very underrated player. And yeah, it's not. You think you think back to Palau if you haven't watched in a while, you just think, oh, Katie just rode to the end against an unbeatable player, Tom. But that's not true at all. She's wheeling and dealing this entire season, and just stuff kind of gets yanked out from under her. But she had ties to everybody. She could have gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. Except yeah. maybe Karen, which that I mean, maybe that's partly Katie's <laughs> fault why the Karen thing didn't work out. I mean, Katie sure didn't get along with Karen. So maybe that's partly her fault too. But But are but you yeah. really gonna are you really gonna hitch your wagon to Karen's star? It's true, but Sandra would have left that option open. Sandra sure. wouldn't have burned bridges with Karen like that. Yeah, look at that. A little praise for uh, Katie here. And again, I was not going into this podcast expecting to praise Katie as a player. I was going to praise her as a character because I love her as a character. But yeah, as a player, she is certainly not. I mean, she's certainly not somebody who would be obliterated in every jury vote. She did pretty well for herself. It's just the fact yeah. that she's against Tom makes her look worse than she is. But she was not. She was not a bad player. Yeah, I would I would say a good amount of this end game of Palau. A lot of these people, like you said about Greg earlier, did a really nice job of utilizing that pre-merge portion when they were winning a lot to really set themselves up in a in a variety of different ways. And we're about to talk about how it all blows up in Greg's face. On the other hand, it all works out for Katie. Or even though she got her all girls lines plan foiled, and next episode or this episode, she'll you know she'll swing over back to Ian and Tom. Next episode, she'll try to make a girls lines, and that won't go well. She's still able to make it to the final too. Yeah. And again, it's not the worst thing in the world to be so bad at challenges. It just means you're never a threat. And again, Sandra Blood plays I mean epitomizes that perfectly. That's the thing. People love to crap on Sandra because she's bad at challenges. It's like that's why she does well because they're not going to vote her out. And it's the same thing with Katie. So that's not really a negative that you're bad at challenges. If you can get past the first couple tribal votes, then you're set after that because those players are very dangerous. All right, so we are going to get into here. Uh, this is, yeah, where uh, we get to the end of the challenge where it's Katie, Jen, and Greg. And this is where Greg starts asking permission to cut Jen's coconut or to chop her lantern down. And they're all yep. making fun of him. Like, wait, did, did Greg just ask permission to take out Jen? He did. Yeah. Yeah, and then later, Greg takes out Jen and Tom's laughing. Tom's like, at least you didn't ask. <laughs> but yeah, so Katie gets taken out by Greg. Katie, for some reason, thought that Greg was going to take her in the war, but Greg takes her out, so Katie's all mad. And Who's it come down to at the end? It's Greg against Jen against yeah. two. That's, it's, it's Greg, Jen, and Katie. So, so they take out Katie, and then Greg wins. Okay, Greg wins, yeah. And then he can take one person on the reward. Of course, he takes his girlfriend, Jen, who I might add really hasn't even spoken up to this point in the season. It's always mm-hmm. through Greg's eyes. And then he can take another, and he takes Katie. And this is kind of the overthrow alliance. We're kind of highlighting them for the first time that this is what's going to happen. It's going to be these three against Tom, Ian, and Karen. The big showdown's coming this episode. And in a way, though, this is, you know, they, they tried to do very well in the coconut chop portion of this challenge. Mm-hmm. But then Greg wins, and then Probst is like, all right, you can take someone. He takes Jen, and, you know, no one's really going to, like, raise their eyebrows at that because Greg yeah. and Jen have been together. But then you take that third person, and he took Katie? That's yeah, a mistake, you, Greg. You take mm-hmm. your super secret alliance partner as your third. That's that's tough when you don't take Tom or Ian. Yeah. That's a mistake. Yeah. Not good, Greg. Although he could always argue, well, she was the third place in the challenge, so I'm just taking based on rank, which, I mean, you'd see right through that, but he could always argue that. Yeah. <laughs> and then Greg, of course, is laughing. He's like, sorry, guys, we'll pay you back. And Tom's like, no, we'll pay you back. Ha, yeah, ha, that, you, you talk about the clips that they show over and over again, and that is definitely one of them, because <laughs> considering what happens in the rest of this episode... 
So the three, Greg, Jen, and Katie, get to go on a yacht, a luxury yacht, where they go out and uh, they get to have a big feast, and they get to go, I, I forget if they go fishing or just kind of sail around, but... Uh, they got so, massages. Yeah, they get the massages. We'll get to the loved ones in a second. <laughs> Greg's friend, Greg. Oh, my God, I love that. <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah, the Ian and Katie thing, and the rift is going to start to open here, because this is where... Ian comes back to camp. He's like, you know, I'm curious that Katie would sell me out so fast for a night on a yacht. And he's like, if she would sell me out that fast for a reward, there's no way she'll stick with me for a million dollars. So it's really kind of starting right here. Yeah, and this is a really, really fun scene where it's Ian, Karen, and Tom just sitting side by side in the shelter. And Ian just flat out says to Tom and Karen, we've lost control of the game. And Karen is just nodding along the whole way because she knows, oh, like 12 hours ago, I told you this, Tommy. You didn't believe me. But now your, your best boy is going to tell you everything, and you're going to believe him this time. Yep. That's where Tom utters his famous quote that Katie has now become the shady lady, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the accent. I can't do it justice. But I, one of my favorite Tom quotes. So, yeah, so Katie is now... Uh, public enemy number one that they realize she's kind of flipped on them and now they realize they're screwed they're in a lot of danger because we're headed towards a 3-3 tie tonight and nobody wants that yeah and then and they, it, they they finally decide to unite to, to take out greg like karen suggested before because they, this is the first time that they really bring up that greg is a dark horse to win and they, they bring up the fact that he really hasn't pissed off anybody and he works hard and he's athletic and he's got the good strategic thing and they they really don't bring up earlier what a threat greg is until this episode i think yeah they even point out he has no enemies so again just furthers my belief that greg was a a fantastic choice if you ever want to make a list of great character great players that didn't win he was really close i think this is the the one time they could have taken him out and they do and for some reason he doesn't see it because everything's lined up perfectly for him all right so now we go to the reward which is uh, they're all getting full body massages, and this is where their loved ones sneak up and and get to body massage their loved ones. This well, is well, this ju- just Greg. <laughs> yeah, Greg's friend Greg comes up and smacks him on the butt. Probably the most awkward introduction of a loved one since <laughs> Sean's Bones. no Sean's father was the freaking <laughs> captain yeah. of the boat captain. I, w- I was hoping he would be the captain of this boat too. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Kniff, what are you doing back here? Well, they they have me on the payroll, so I'm just, I'm just going. I have three more seasons in me. Where's Sean? Uh, he was on Survivor 1. Oh, he's not out here? Yeah, so you have Greg's friend, Greg. You have Jen's sister and Katie's brother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That uh, Her sister, apparently her sister just had a baby. I thought that Katie's brother-in-law stand would come in and say, she died, dude. <laughs> But Greg and Greg, it's just I, just one of those little details I've never forgotten over the years that Greg's friend was named Greg. I wonder I wonder if like they have like a Greg circle, like if there are other they just inherently made friends with people named Greg. <laughs> it does seem like a douchey Ivy League thing to do. Yeah. Do you think they shun people named Craig? Oh, Craig's the fucking devil. <laughs> All right, so back at camp while well, Greg and Greg and Katie are they're, they're all swimming with dolphins or something. Oh, we'll talk about that. But uh, now we go back to camp, and this is where it gets interesting because Tom and Ian think it's going to be a 3-3 tie tonight. The other three are going to vote for Karen. These three are going to vote for Greg. And they are pretty sure we're going to go to drawing purple rocks tonight. They're drawing rocks. And just like Pascal and the purple rock, this is something that nobody wants. 
And nobody has seen, I believe, Marquesas. It hadn't happened since then, correct? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, yeah. So they're going to gamble. They're like, we're going to force a rock draw tonight, and we're pretty sure Katie will not want to draw a rock because Katie really wants to get to the end. So she, they don't think she's going to do that for her buddies. So this is where Tony and decide they're going to strong-arm Katie a little bit. We're going to force her to come back to us. We're going to basically put a gun to her head and said, either you come back to us or you're going to draw rocks and then you could go home. So this which, is kind of where, yeah. Which you know what? At six people, that's a great move. Yeah. It's a fantastic move, especially when Katie is is the Sandra. She's waffling between two sides. Sandra wouldn't pull a rock for anybody either. Yeah, and I, Ian has a great quote here, great uh, metaphor where he says, you know, t- doing this plan is like uh, t- taking a bag of chips from a, from a fat <laughs> man. You can do it. You just got to do it quickly before he turns around and sits on you. <laughs> yes. All right, so this is the, the big showdown coming up here, the Purple Rock Showdown. So we go back to the boat. Katie, Greg, Greg, Jen, and all of them are snorkeling with the dolphins. And uh, Oh, this is where oh, Karen has a great moment here. Let's see if Mike can actually say something nice about Karen the rest of the episode. Oh, boy. Where <laughs> yeah. Karen, When they get back, Karen has to act like she knows she's going home. It's all up to her. She has to sell this so nobody knows. Oh, boy. And Karen, Karen knows she's going to be good at it because I'm a very good actress. Oh, all right this is the challenge mike see if you can go the rest of the episode and say something nice about karen now mike, all right now mike I, I i'm involved in theater i do theater shows i know you're involved in theater as well uh-huh brother to brother here how good was her performance <laughs> i'll i'll say she she to her credit she did a nice job of behaving in the mentality of someone that knew that she was going home on the flip side, she wasn't acting that much far outside of her herself. <laughs> like, all she did was just sit around and be, like, despondent, which isn't that much separate from who Karen is as a person. So, yes, I will commend her for her, for her performance of someone being, of being, of going home. But this isn't, like, a Daniel Day-Lewis performance here. This is, this is Karen being slightly more miserable than she is already. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if it were Daniel Day-Lewis? <laughs> You know what I will do, Katie? I will drink your milkshake. <laughs> My left stick. <laughs> I just love the idea that Karen is despondent in general. So when she's at home, she just kind of sits in the couch and stares at the ground most of the time. Is what you're th- saying? That's what that's what I believe. Or like you'll like if you're if she's having a conversation that she really doesn't want to be involved in, she'll just completely tune out and look. She's totally the person that you like have dinner with, and she'll be just looking at her phone the whole time if she's not if she's not focused on what's going on. <laughs> I heard a, a lot of great stories about Karen. I got to share this one. You guys probably have heard this. That I think Katie said this on her uh, Survivor Oz interview that that Survivor Katie or Karen tried to downplay how much money she had at home. She wouldn't tell anybody that she was super rich and stuff. Except it was easy to tell because in her sleep when she was dreaming, Karen would yell at her housekeeper. <laughs> I think they remember Katie telling that story. So they knew that she was well off and she was kind of a bitch in real life because that was she would sleep yell at her housekeeper, which I just find hilarious. You know what? That I could totally see Karen is like Lucille Bluth. Like she totally is like someone that like try to give a hug to Tom and everyone's like, What the hell are you doing? <laughs> You're killing me, Buster. <laughs> Now, now I'm now I'm thinking that she actually is like Lucille Bluth. She's <laughs> if Daniel Day Lewis played Lucille Bluth. <laughs> well, that would be a very good actress. So she's right. Yeah, a very very good actress. So there you go. In a roundabout way, Mike just praised Karen. Thank you. Uh... 
<laughs> well, I'm just thinking she's entering like mother boy competitions and you know <laughs> things like that. Zip up, Tom. <laughs> well, Ian, I guess, would be the buster in that case. Yeah, I think Tom is the George Senior slash Oscar. <laughs> yeah, the tweaker. All right, so yeah, so we we go back and uh, back on the yacht. Katie, Jen, and Greg. Sure enough, just as everyone suspected, solidify their final three alliance. We're going to be the three. We're going to the end. We take out Karen tonight, and then we have a free ride to the end. They know it. That's the thing. It's set. This is it. They take out Karen tonight, and it's all over. Mm-hmm. And I even wrote in my notes here. I kind of circled it. I said, "Katie's plan is to always jump to the person who is making the decisions." Since Greg yeah. is making the decisions, now she's with Greg. And again, that's classic Sandra Vesepia. That's how these really good, unathletic, but clever females play Survivor. Whoever's making the power, that's who I'm with now. And, and she vocalizes that philosophy in the next episode, I think, or in the finale. That, that's, that's her exact plan. Yeah. So again, I mean, and, and again, in her final speech at the final tribal council, she says, I don't have the same gifts that other people have. I'm not athletic. I have the specific traits that I have to play with, and I did damn well for what I have. And I think she's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Well, look at this. Get, gain some respect for Katie as a player, which I don't think anybody has ever praised her other than the article that Jay read that wasn't by me. Look at me bringing a new perspective. <laughs> That's it. All right. So now we get down to the, the big showdown. The three come back. Karen is acting up a storm like Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, this is where Ian pulls Katie's brother aside and said, you know, I will always look out for Katie. We're like brothers out here. And Katie cries, which is kind of a touching little moment, especially with what comes up later. Yeah, and we, and we do have an interesting Greg scene as well, where it's revealed about, you know, the death of his father last year. So this is a very interesting episode for Greg, and this sort of colors him a little more. And again, we have not seen this side of Greg at all the entire season. So to have him be shown like this only to go out was uh i feel like we were we were robbed a little bit of greg near this end game yeah no i agree i, I would, would have liked to see a little more greg if, if they could re-edit palau there's a couple storylines i'd like to see come out more i'd like to see greg's story a little more all right and then tom has a great again just so many great quotes down the stretch here that kind of foreshadow what's going to happen at the end where tom says this will be the last love fest in camp <laughs> this is <laughs> that little trip they took may cost them big Dun, dun, dun. And now we go to the immunity challenge where the ever popular, they love to do this in the old seasons. We just reuse the survivors for the challenges from earlier in the season. Yeah, but anytime you can have them eating balut, you got to do it, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. Especially since, especially since only two of them ate it to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that was such a waste of balut, right? They were like, dude, we're going to make them eat balut. This is going to be the best eating challenge. Oh, there's only two oolongs? Crap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't it be like to see like Karen or Willard have to eat balut or something like that? Nobody Our- wants to see Willard eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we go to the challenge. Ian tells us Greg cannot win immunity today. The whole plan to force this tie hinges on Greg not winning immunity today. So here we go. It's one of these where every round at the challenge is an elimination. Uh, they start with six, five people make it to the second round, then four, then three, then two, and what do they do? The net the net race, then they have to make a puzzle, then they eat the balut, mm-hmm. and then they have to untie a flag with a bunch of knots with the James Miller Memorial. The James yeah. Miller Memorial. <laughs> if, if he were still alive, he would have totally been like, hell yeah! <laughs> Rest in peace, James. So anyway, and it comes down to Tom against Ian, who it, it will come down to that a lot as we get to the end here, and, and Ian wins again. Ian wins the gun shooting, and it's the second time I wrote that Tom just has, can't quite get that gun to work, so Ian wins immunity, but they served their purpose. They did not let Greg win immunity. Greg you was ain't lying. 
Yeah, Greg was eliminated at the Balutes. He, he was dogging it that day. <laughs> he was uh, ooh doggy. He's oh, he's he's none for. He's none for. That's the thing. Yeah, probes points out. You know, Tom, you can't shoot that gun, and he's like, "Good thing you became a fireman, not a cop," which I thought was a funny line. Yes, because I mean, this American thing is just like, boy, I, you know, I, I never mind. I was going to go somewhere, and then it wasn't funny, so you know, whatever. That's fine. We'll edit that out. We don't want you to look bad on the podcast. Oh, we're not editing that out, and you know it. <laughs> Sucker. Sucker! We're just gonna need some like a sound effect of like a boing after, <laughs> after that gap. Where's the Price Is Right? The sound of the losing sound horn. We- <laughs> Can we run through all the Price Is Right sound effects again with the Bob Barker, the spayer neuter your pets, and then the Price Is Wrong? Bob Barker reminding you: help control the pet population. Have your pet spayed or neutered. Goodbye, everybody. The Price Is Wrong, bitch. I think you've had enough. No. Now you've had enough. Bitch. <laughs> that but, was great. Well, no. I think that's why I think that I like that uh, throw the coconut of the tiles better than the, uh, than the shuffleboard. Is that it sort of reminds me of Plinko. Where, like, it's a crapshoot where you th- end up throwing it? That's right. <laughs> it's, it's the freaking best. Don't diss Plinko. Jeez. All right, so now we come to the big showdown. Greg is vulnerable, Tom is vulnerable, Karen's vulnerable, and Tom is ready to draw rocks tonight. And this is where Greg tells us he thinks Karen is going home because Karen is a fantastic actress. She's a very good actress. And And, uh, this is where Ian even points out that Karen should win an Academy Award for the acting job she is doing right now. uh, I'm glad glad Ian is not in the Academy. (laughs) Karen had less screen time than Judy Dench, so I'm not sure she should have won an Academy Award. Are, are you making a Shakespeare in Love reference? Yeah, um, a friend saw it and told me about it. Uh, <laughs> are you saying yeah. you haven't seen Shakespeare in Love? No, I love it. I, I've written articles about it. Yeah, no, it's a great movie. Yeah. Um. Okay, so there's a great quote here. This harkens back to last season with uh, Eliza and Chris, where people are talking about the vote and they say a little more than they should have, and it's kind of a little funny <laughs> slip-up. Where Greg and Ian and Tom are talking right before the vote, <clears throat> and Greg knows full well that they're, they're going to go for Karen's tonight, and the other guys, and so Greg's saying, so it should be uneventful tonight, and Ian's like, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, and Greg catches that he says interesting. Greg's like, interesting, and Ian's like, well, no, I just meant, and Tom's like, it's always interesting. So great catch by Tom. Yeah, and then we'll see Ian's mouth gets him in trouble later on as well, making like offhanded statements. Yeah, Ian really just shut up. <laughs> he, he ruins a lot of stuff for himself. But yeah, luckily Tom was there to save him. But this is when we get another uh, chink in the armor of the friendship of Katie and Ian because uh, essentially Ian does his fair share of strong arming in this episode where, I mean, the, granted the timeline of this episode we don't know too much about, but it looks like almost right before Tribal Council, Ian goes up to Katie and says, you know, I promised Stan that I would protect you. Here's what's going on. You have to vote with us or it's going to be a tie and you're in danger of going home. Okay, let's go to tribal council. Yeah. He's like, I love you. I trust you. I'm never going to vote you out. By the way, do this tonight or you're dead. It's like, wait, what? It's a very 
I'm not sure Ian saw it as strong arming her, but Katie sure sees it as strong arming. She's like, what? Like right before tribal council, Ian drops this on her that, by the way, we changed the plan. We didn't tell you, so vote with us. And yeah, Katie does not take kindly to that. Also, I, I like the fact that, you know, Ian does have the bond with Katie. So, you know, you can you could see the fact that, you know, Tom or whatever, they were like, yeah, you, you talk to Katie and tell her that we're going to do this thing. But uh, on another on another level, it's kind of like, who are the ad wizards that thought up that thing? Like, who was like, let's have Ian go strong arm somebody? <laughs> well, you could look at it as Tom just being a savvy player. He doesn't want to be the bad guy. He's like, Ian, go break Katie's heart. So you could even yeah, say maybe maybe Tom was thinking of that. He's like, Katie's going to hate this. So, Ian, how about you do it? Yeah, and it seems like throughout the game that Ian was actually doing that a lot with Tom, where like he would throw a lot of blame on someone getting booted behind Tom. So maybe Tom thought it was fair play to just have Ian take a little bit of the share of the blame sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, again, it's just little stuff like that that Tom was doing that was incredibly savvy, I think. I mean, again, I'm just guessing that that's what happened, but I, that makes sense that's what Tom would have been thinking. Like, I, I want Ian to take the political hit for this. All right, so, yeah, Katie is furious that Ian waited until the last minute. And she's like, why didn't you trust me to that plan? Why didn't you tell me we were taking out Greg tonight? And, and she's like, this is great for you, Ian. It's not great for me because now she's going to have to turn on them. And she could possibly lose a jury vote if she makes it to the end now. So it's just one of those things where she's damned if she does, damned if she doesn't. It's one of those things. She's absolutely trapped and she knows it and she, she hates Ian for it. And this is where we lose... One of the more underrated players in Survivor history, Greg Carey, is he is totally blindsided. And just because he's a stand-up guy and, and he respects the game, he just kind of he kind of lets out his breath. He's like, you guys are good. And that's the thing. He doesn't seem angry. He's like, they beat me. Good job. Yeah, I mean, we do get another De- Jeff Probst dick moment in this Tribal Council where, again, Jeff brings up the whole Greg asking Jen if it's okay to hit her moment. And everyone laughs about it. And Greg's like, you guys should be laughing about it. Yes. Well, Je- Probes now- is really pushing for that storyline. <laughs> now that we know more about Jeff Probes, it seems very typical Jeff Probes. But um, yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting. But Greg gets blindsided, and I think that's the whole thing: is that Greg. My thoughts of Greg, as I said before, were always he talked a good game, and I never really think much more than that with people like that. Oh well, he talked a good game, but on on closer inspection, he played a good game up until the Janu quit. And then the Janu quit happened, and the game got wrenched away from Greg, not to his own thing, and he sort of got blindsided by Stephanie. And I think that's what made me not necessarily enjoy him when I watched it live, because I remember not really rooting for Greg. But I didn't root for Greg because he kept saying we need to get rid of Stephanie when she came over to Karor. And that's what won out at Stephanie's boot was, you know, Greg kept saying, we need to stamp out this storyline. We can't let her story continue and, you know, he could have used that time. Like, I know that Katie was trying to get the girls' alliance to overthrow the guys. But it's like Greg lost a vote in with Janu that he had. And then Tom secures Karen, and Greg doesn't secure Karen very much. Greg is now on the back foot. He should have tried to use that time to leverage, but he didn't. He was tunnel-visioned on getting rid of Steph. And maybe he thought, you know, Steph was still tight with Tom and Ian, so maybe that was a good play. But, you know, he just was very tunnel-visioned on, well, we're all going to do this thing, and maybe I'll strike later. And he just couldn't recover from that point. Yeah, I I think the problem was that Greg acted one round too soon. I think if Greg had gone to Karen instead of Tom at the final seven and brought her into the fold, I think things would have completely changed the course of the game. But I think the fact that Tom saw the writing on the wall and decided to bring Karen into the fold before Stephanie left was the key to his game. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, Tom brings something up interesting at the reunion show when he, they ask him about Greg, and Tom said that Greg's problem is that he's very game-focused. He knows what everyone's best interest is. Every night he'd stay up at night thinking what everyone's what's, – what's their best move? What's their best move? And so Greg was very much based on game theory, but so much of his strategy depended on people always doing what was in their best interest. So he, it kind of threw him off when people started switching up on him towards the end. That's true. It's I mean, it, no Survivor season exists where – 16 to 18 people are playing perfect games all aligned with their best interests, the best move for them to make. So it's it's hard to use game theory in the first place. And I think, I mean, like, if you want to just do one-on-one, like Greg versus Tom, game theory would make more sense. But when you have rogue factors in there, like you have a Katie, you have a Karen, Janu, even Kobe, for a little extent, was a, was a bit of a, a rogue agent there at the merge. Like, it, that's too many X factors to really have game theory play out successfully. Yeah. In the end, I just think the, all you can really say is I think Greg came awfully close to winning Survivor. <laughs> he did. He came, he came close, and he came closer than a lot of other people do. You know, people usually look at places like, well, this person finished third or this person finished fourth. But it's like sometimes the best play. you know, I, I'm not – I don't diss winners. We, we've gone on and say that I don't really diss winners. But I also don't necessarily ascribe to the fact that the winner necessarily played the best game because – even playing the best game isn't necessarily the same as winning the season. Mm-hmm. And it, the point ne- isn't always necessarily to play the best game. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the times it is, I don't even know if I'm necessarily making sense here. I mean, the point of survivor is to win, right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. a lot of times that goes hand in hand with playing the best game, but sometimes you can play a really, really good game and not win. You know, if some things are just not in your control and, you know, Greg played a really good game. He played one of the better one of the better games out there in Palau, and he finished in what? What is this? Sixth, sixth place? Sixth yeah. place, yeah. He, he finished in sixth place. But, I mean, everyone's like, oh, he's a sixth-place finisher. He played a really good game. He came close to winning. Give him credit. Yeah, and with, with Greg out of the picture, it kind of opens up the storyline a little. You can kind of see where the season's going now, that it's going to be Tom versus Ian to see which one really wins at the end. Mm-hmm. Although, the other thing that's interesting is that with Greg out of the picture, all of a sudden, Jen becomes a major character. Yeah, this because is where I, we see major vis- visibility spike in Jen. Yeah, she's a really savvy player, too. So it's one of those, I feel horrible for the fact that she didn't really get to speak for the first 10 episodes. It's really everything that's Greg and Jen, Greg verbalizes it. And so all of a sudden, now she's a major character. You're going to see how dangerous she is. So she is. She's going to become Stephanie. Oh, you thought I was dangerous before? Now watch and see how dangerous I am. So she doesn't, she doesn't have Greg as a mouthpiece, and she doesn't have Stephanie to go against challenges anymore. So now all obstacles are removed. Yep, absolutely. In fact, again, I go back to the reunion show where Tom said, the thing with Jen is you hid your game. Your game was you hid your game. That was very effective. So that's the thing. She's been hiding her game, and now it's going to be exposed. And now we're going to see she's a dangerous little player as well. All right, so we lose Gar- uh, Greg, and now we get down to the final five, and this is the Karen episode. This one's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, Ian, Ian verbalizes the main theme of this episode very early on where he says, like, well, that was great. We got rid of Greg. The only thing I'm worried about is if the three girls join together against Tom and I, but that will never happen. <laughs> never. There's no way that'll happen. There's no precedent for that ever. <laughs> yeah, and so we have Burton and Fairplay here. <laughs> Starting to get a little cocky, but yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing. Ian says, it's three girls against two guys, and he and Tom have a little discussion at the start. Whatever happens, we cannot leave the three of them alone. Do not <laughs> let the three of them team up. Well, the, again, you said that Tom had seen other, probably had seen a lot of seasons of Survivor before. If you've seen Pearl yeah. Islands, you know. 
Yeah. I never forget that Burton and Fairplay episode where Burton basically cost Fairplay the win. Yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah. So, Jen is shocked that her boyfriend was just voted out. Katie is pissed that Ian just bullied her into that. And so now uh, Katie and Jen all of a sudden went Karen. Uh, what, what is this? They want Karen out next? Yeah, there's there's a really interesting edit between so it's it's an interplay between two scenes the next morning. It's Jen talking to Ian and Katie, uh, and Jen basically trying to convince them to vote out Tom. But at the same time, it's Tom talking into talking to Karen, officially kind of bringing her into the fold into a final three alliance with her and Ian. And it's like so well spliced together, and they both end with like the same line of like, "Well, you've got a lot to think about." So it's one of those really <laughs> cool things that the Survivor editors got to do. Yeah. And there's a funny little scene in there where Ian is talking to Katie and Jen and they're like, you got to vote out Tom. And he's like, no, I don't want to vote out Tom. And they're like, really? Why, why the hell wouldn't you vote out Tom? But Ian's like, well, I mean, you know, very loyal. You won't vote out Tom. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And yeah, this is where, again, we get to the reward challenge. And right before, again, Tom and Ian reiterate that if, if one of us wins reward, we can't take each other. We can't leave these three women back at camp. They're already pissed at us. And again, a reminder of, of Ian and Katie basically saying, you know, if I win a reward, I'll take you. Yep. So, so, so both things happening with the we can't go together and Ian should take Katie. Yeah. This is, uh, this is the stretch of episodes I like to call Ian fucks up every single time. <laughs> <laughs> Ian makes every wrong turn. Oh, my God. You know, for years, people would ask me who I thought the best player was that didn't win. And Ian was such a knee-jerk answer, I would always say Ian. But I'm watching these episodes, and it's painful how many mistakes he makes. It's ridiculous. Like, it's common sense things he just goes wrong with. It's So I cannot, in good conscience, ever say he's one of the better players not to win now. I'd put Greg or Jen ahead of him now. Or Katie, of course. Remember earlier I said that certain people are just naturally gifted at Survivor? Yes. Ian is, like, ultra-mega naturally gifted at Survivor. And yet, everything that he could, everything that he had, like any simple decision he had to make at the end of this game, yeah, he screws up. Yeah, you know what I, I mean. Would, yeah, it's I, just. I, I was go ahead. No, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just waffling. Go ahead. I was gonna say he's naturally suited for Survivor, but I feel like he's naturally suited for Survivor to end up in like the mid game where he yeah, really yeah, yeah. doesn't have to make any big decisions. You know, if he, yeah. I, I feel like if he went home and like seventh sixth or maybe even fifth place i feel like he would still be just as happy because he is absolutely eviscerated with having to make tough individual decisions in these next couple of episodes yeah no when i say naturally good at survivor i don't mean someone that's going to go and win that's not necessarily what i mean but it's just like he's equipped to be out there and not that that that, a lot of that is physical i guess in the in the ways but i mean he also is so good natured right and he he gets along with people that is such an important element to the game but decision making is a big part of survivor and and that's that's not something that you know some people are naturally good decision makers but i think that's a, that's a skill that's very learned in life is how to how to make size up a situation and make a decision and ian well he, he didn't do so well i would say he's great at strategy he's great at social skills he's horrible at politics oh god yeah oh my god <laughs> oh terrible yeah all right so here we go the reward challenge this is where uh they have to paddle out and uh what are they? Uh, they match the mile markers. You paddle out, you get these mile, these numbers. You paddle back in and you match them to different locations, how far they are from Paul. Yeah. It's and like the, the, winner... seven, it's, it's the seventh grade social studies challenge, basically. <laughs> exactly. So here on Are You Smarter Than a Seventh Grader? So uh, the winner wins a red Chevy Corvette and they get to go to a Palau mansion and have a big barbecue feast. Which, by what... the way, awesome survivor, right? Like, you know, we've gone a long way from a Pontiac Aztec. Yeah. Corvette, this is where you can vet a village. 
so yeah, so uh, Ian wins easily because he's the dolphin trainer. He's the one that's best in the water. He just goes out there and dusts everybody else. I, I don't even think anybody is close to him. And Ian, of course, in a master plan not to leave the three women back home and take Katie on reward, decides he's going to take Tom on a reward. <laughs> as as love, and He gets to take one person, he chooses Tom, and he's going to leave the three angry women back at camp. And you can tell Tom is pissed about this decision. <laughs> yeah, it's a good... <laughs> oh, man. And I mean, watching it live, I mean, you know, you were just like, what are you doing? Like, this wasn't even something where you, on a rewatch, you watch it and go like, oh, my God, Ian. At the time, he's like, I'm going to take Tom. And I mean, I just was like, what? Yeah. It reminds me of uh, Michelle when she has to drink the smoothie in Pearl Islands. Yeah. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow the challenge. And she absolutely does not only not blow it, but she's like the fastest drinker of everyone. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> That's exactly the same thing with Ian. Like. That was the easiest choice in the world, Ian. Why the hell? And he's like, well, I promised Tom that if the reward involved a car, I'd take him, which I don't know what what, what logic that is because Tom doesn't get a car too. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's what he thought, though. I mean, granted, the last full season they saw was All-Stars where, you know, Rob run the challenge and took Amber on and Jeff said, oh, nice one, Mariano. Oh, Amber, you get a car too. Oh, that's it. So he and Tom are going to go make out at a drive-in theater? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For a car, absolutely. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, Ian, ugh. I mean, he should have taken Katie because it would have split it up. And I mean, no one would have faulted him, right? Like, no one would have said anything. Yeah. And she was already pissed. And then Ian tries to justify it later by saying, well, Katie turned on me at the last challenge and she deserved this. I'm like, yeah, Katie's not going to see it that way. Good job, Ian. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, that and that's you. You can you should not use that as evidence to explain. Like, well, I only did it because you did that to me. <laughs> yes. The point, you know, I always like this, and they don't do it as much anymore on Survivor. You know, they they do a lot of in modern reward challenges later in the season. A lot of times, they instead of having like one person win and then having them choose people to go on the reward, they just split them up into teams yeah. and just take it out of their hands. Which to me is like super lame. I like the idea of the decision-making process there. And the decision-making process is twofold. One, you need to split up potential alliances if you are going on a reward. So you have to do that. And second of all, you just want to pick people that aren't going to make waves. You want to pick people to where people aren't going to go back into a confessional or back at camp and go, that was an odd choice. What was that about? Like you just want to make something where people are like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. All right, yeah, that's that's fine. And they go back and then they just talk about other things or do their chores. But I mean, Ian didn't split up the potential girls alliance and he made a choice that everyone was going to talk about at camp like fail on both yeah, counts he brought he did decided not to bring the one person who then decides in her anger to spill everything about it to jen and karen <laughs> well i love when tom and ian are on their barbecue and they discuss strategy and tom's first move is we need to pull katie back in when we get back <laughs> no shit you're basically saying like okay we need to clean up what you just fucked up with our alliance <laughs> Uh, yeah i know a lot of people i've heard this especially more modern fans think well i can't believe people get pissed over like a reward like why would they let that influence their decision making it should be all about strategy but i mean survivor is an emotional game and katie was already felt like she'd been being kicked around by ian where you know he bullied her at the last vote into voting with a vote with us or die so it's like her anger is absolutely justified this is a one-two punch from ian right in a row And she goes back to camp and she's in tears. She's like, you know, I feel like I just lost my best friend today. And again, I just can't reiterate that enough that Survivor is a strategy game. Yes, but it is an emotional and political game and it always has been and it always will be. So stuff like this is really dangerous. Like people don't always act 
in strategic sense. Sometimes if they're mad, they're just going to do something like this and vote you out. And Katie is absolutely furious now. Which is why when we look at people who manage to detach themselves so emotionally from the game, like Brian Heideck, we look at them and say, they're not normal. (laughs) They're sociopaths. Like normal people in this pressure cooker of a situation, you're going to act emotionally. It's just what happens. Yeah. Again, a horrible game. It's a horrible game that does horrible things to you. And this is an absolute natural reaction. Katie's breaking down now. She's starting to lose it. Mm-hmm. And so she, as I talked about before, she spills her whole final three deal to Jen and Karen. And this gets the wheels turning in Karen's head because Tom had basically made a final three deal with her earlier that morning. So as soon as Tom and Ian come back to camp the next day, who is the first person to run over to them and see what the situation is? <laughs> Here's a hint. She's a very good actress. Oh, I was going to say Janu? <laughs> yeah, she comes back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Janu's back. So, yeah, Karen comes running over to Tom and Ian and demands, she's like, just ask to answer my question who the final three is. And this is, of course, Ian once again, just a total deer in headlights. Um, I, uh, it's like, great, Ian. <laughs> so, yeah, Ian's just messing everything up for Tom all over the place. Yeah, this scene screws their deal completely because after Ian says like I can't make promises with the final three Tom then goes to Karen and is like okay what are you gonna do and she's like I don't know and Tom's like well great the deal I just made 24 hours ago is now down the toilet yeah yeah Ian is just dragging everybody down into a what's the word that Sue uses in all-stars into your core of hatred core of hatred the core of hatred they're all going to Kathy used it to talk about Sue yeah yeah that was it Kathy so yeah so Ian is just messing everything up and so now Ian wants to go talk to Katie, and Katie won't even talk to him. She's like, no. And what, Ian's like, what? What did I do? So he, doesn't, he has no idea what he did wrong, which is bad enough. You think he'd know what he did wrong, but the fact that he doesn't seem to know what he did wrong just proves how bad he is at politics. So this is where Katie and Ian, you know, he badgers her, please come talk to me. We don't have to talk about the game. I just want to be friends. So they finally go and have their talk, and... Well, this is the really big emotional scene that Mike was making fun of earlier where Ian's laying on the beach and crying and Katie's crying and they're just rehashing all the hurt they have that they've caused to one another, mostly Ian to her. Yeah, it's just, it's so weird. It's just, we haven't seen this stuff on Survivor, I would say, ever. And if we have, we haven't seen something of this emotional quality in such a long time that wasn't like pure anger. It was just, it was it's weird, and especially due to the fact that, like, they have only known each other for, like, a month at this point, and they're arguing and breaking down emotionally like they're, they're siblings or that they're, like, a couple that is – their relationship is breaking down. It's just very, very odd to watch. And that's, that's really the relationship that you get there. I mean, you know, we had Boston Rob and Amber, you know, in All-Stars, and then we had Greg and Jen, which seemed like, you know, a uh, – it seemed, it seemed like a um, – you know, like like a like a coupley sort of relationship here, but like Ian and Katie, they've been friends, and it seems more like buddies or or brother sister sort of relationship <laughs> thing there. But like Mike's right, this is just weird because in, Katie was even plotting against Ian, right? And it's like okay, ultimately Ian had the bullets in the sense that you know Katie got Ian out in the in the the coconut chop challenge, but I mean Ian promised her to go on the reward and he didn't take her, and that's emotionally devastating. But like. That then turns into this whole thing where, Ian, like, they're crying. Ian is, like, down on his knees begging for forgiveness. And, I mean, just, you know, she's just like, you've lost my friendship. And he's just like, oh, my God, I, can't, I need it back. And, I mean, it is just weird. And a lot of people forget that Ian threatens or he volunteers to quit here. 
Yep. He does yeah. later, but he's like, I'll quit. I'll step out of this game for you, basically, so we can be friends again. And she's like, no, don't do that. That's ridiculous. But yeah, a lot of people have asked me over the years, do you think Ian and Katie had a little more going on than just friends? Do you think they were like a relationship? And I, like you guys said, it, it the response they're giving to one another seems like maybe they did. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm sure we'll get eviscerated if Katie listens to this and <laughs> yells at us. But it does seem awfully weird for people that were just friends. Okay, and so, uh, yeah, so... They finish up the scene. It seems like they're friends again. Ian's not going to quit. He volunteered that he would have. She doesn't want him to. They hug, and Ian says, you know, I'll do my damnedest not to be stupid again. And it seems like they've kind of made up here, although this won't be the last drama. We're going to get more. Yeah, it's interesting that Katie volunteers Ian don't quit the game, and then, no, don't quit the game now, Ian. Quit it in, like, three days. <laughs> yeah. Katie's the best. God, yeah. she's the best. And, I mean, that's the whole thing, as you said. Ian's bad at politics. I mean, this this legitimately looked like a quarrel you know like i think katie is leveraging this but katie has just got got some savvy behind her but i mean they had an out and out fight and even though both of them probably have reasons to be sort of angry at each other it's ian on the defensive yeah because he can't turn it like she's she's got him and (sighs) poor ian just just not going well for him (laughs) ian's life is only going to go downhill from here yeah his survivor life i'm sure he's very happy in real life and while while we see the ugly side of Ian now, now we're going to start seeing the ugly side of Tom as well. And this is when Tom is really starting to strong on people. And this is when he's very much on the defensive. And this is when he uh, he basically not not really pitches, but just puts it out there to the girls of like, if you vote one of us guys off, then the other one's just going to keep winning immunity and, and you will not get my vote if you vote me off. He doesn't do it to the girls. He just does it to Katie. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he true. just pulls her aside. He's like, yeah, you know, if one of us goes out tonight, the next votes, the next challenge is probably physical, and one of us will win it, and we're going to go after you next. That's the payback. So, like, Tom is really going hardcore godfather here. Like, you take one of us out, we take you out. Just remember that. And Katie's like, you know, Tom sucks today. He's being mean. He's being cold and threatening. She's like, I don't like it. But again, this at the start of the podcast, I said a lot of people wanted us to tear Tom apart to kind of puncture this myth that he's this great wonderful hero beloved firefighter and like yeah it's kind of silly to call him a hero or a villain as with many survivor players he's got his ups his downs his blacks and whites he's got good and bad but yeah he's just he's got a natural skill to get what he wants and he's not going to stop when he until he gets it it's just again a horrible game and he's willing to go there when some people aren't i don't really fault that for him but yeah there is criticism of tom that he's too mean and too much of a bully and this is Prime example right here of if you don't like Tommy, I'm sure you don't like this scene. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's not nice, but at the same time, it's effective. And I mean, it's, it's what Tom has been nice, you know, and, and, you know, we've talked about, I mean, Willard talked about how he was very complimentary on Karor. He had laid a lot of nice groundwork. And I mean, even in Katie's confessional, she's like, Tom sucks today. You know what I mean? Like, she's not saying that Tom normally is a big yelly bastard of a guy like she's saying you know tom's normally all right and i mean today he's just trying to get there it's like tom is near the end and he's trying to get himself near the end and i think tom does see himself as having a lot to overcome you know being this challenge beast and you know alpha dog and all this sort of stuff and i mean he's just trying to do what he needs to do yeah yeah and and to be and to be fair tom kind of realizes now with with the mistake that Ian made that the only way they can keep Katie on their side is to strong arm her. So that's like, he feels that's the only tactic he can take at this moment. I feel like he's, he's held off on that for a while, but now, now I think he feels like his back is really against the wall. And that's when he has to bring out this tactic. 
Well, yeah, and, and also because Katie has been floating between alliances to alliances because people keep wooing Katie or showing Katie, you know, oh, you can go here with me or oh, you can go this thing. And it's like now you confront her with you need to go this way or else. Yeah. And uh, so many people like to attribute things on Survivor to a person's personality. Like, well, Tom is a bully. He's probably a bully in real life. He's an asshole. I hear that a lot. But it's like I've long thought that by the end of the game, most people on Survivor are half crazy anyway. They just kind of go nuts. So it's just it's one of those – you attribute the behavior to the situation, not the person. I don't think Tom routinely walks around and bullies people in real life. It's just what Survivor forces you into when it gets desperate. Yep, as as Ian quips, it's Survivor, not Parcheesi. Yep. All right, yeah, I just wrote in my notes, wow, this is a really brutal episode. <laughs> like, this is a good and brutal episode. Yeah. All right, so here's the uh, immunity challenge. Now, Katie's getting bullied by all sides. Just all hell's breaking loose. And uh, this is the one where they have to... Uh, it's the memory challenge. You run across a bridge, you look at a puzzle, then you have to run it back and duplicate it on the other side. It's just to see how many, how, what your memory is like. And this, this is a fun challenge. This is an exciting one. It's an exciting one because they're not, no one's doing it right. I mean, that's, that's (laughs) the fun part is that, I mean, it's just, it's up in the air because you, you know, people, Tom and Ian have been dominating challenges so far. You don't necessarily think of Karen as much of a threat, even though, you know, it's a puzzle challenge, you know, you're, you're in it, but it's like, Tom doesn't do well for a while. You know what I mean? Like he's off and it's like, then you're like, Oh crap, but Ian's not doing, you know, it's like you you naturally in this season, you're naturally looking at that Tom versus Ian dynamic for some reason. And it's like, it didn't seem apparent that one was, was getting, uh, getting ahead or wanting to win this thing. Yeah. At the time I remember thinking, I thought Ian was going to knock him off. I thought Ian was going to win this season. Yeah. But yeah, it's back and forth, Ian and Tom, Ian and Tom, and then Tom wins. And again, as exciting as a memory pe- challenge could be, this one's actually pretty exciting. It's fun to watch. It's real close at the Tom, end. It's it. Paul loves it because I'm, Tom eats it several times. <laughs> yes. Too bad Karen didn't eat it or Paul would love it. I would love it too. We, share, we would share <laughs> that sentiment. Wow, look, our original temp and our new temp finally bonding. <laughs> Paul was the temp? Holy crap. Yeah, normally we try to drive a wedge between you two. We can't have you teaming up. All right, so Tom wins immunity. And now Ian is in a lot of danger. Ian realizes, oh, crap, it's three angry girls against me, and Tom can't be voted for. So now he and Katie try to reconcile, and, yeah, this is where it, uh, it, it all kind of – I kind of forget how Karen gets voted out here. It shouldn't be Karen, but it, there's a lot of drama that happens here between Ian and Katie, and then Karen saying, well, it's all really Katie's decision who she's going to go with tonight. And Kate, yeah. So Katie, Katie's really the key here. I'm – Still surprised, even rewatching this, how Jen just slips by. Considering <laughs> she was public enemy number one coming out of that vote, she was the only one to vote in the minority that survived. Like, how did she completely stay out of everyone's focus during yeah. this vote? And this is why, again, I think that Katie is the most important character. I know at the reunion show, she said that she and Jen, or no, it was in the finale, she says that she and Jen were like sisters. They were the closest ones on that tribe. So that's probably why Jen survives, because Katie's got her on her side. So Katie, again, holds all the cards here. She's not going to vote out her best friend. Well, there's that, and just the fact that, you know, as, as Tom says, Jen hit her game, which, you know, is, is one thing. But Jen also is, you know, Jen also knows when to shut up, too, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, there's drama with Ian and Katie, and Tom is, is, is you know, throwing his weight around and Karen is Karen. You know what I mean? And that ultimately I think is what gets Karen to go home is because it's all into in, in Katie's hands. And then Karen is just poisonous near the end. And it's like, 
then there's Jen who's not saying a darn thing. And it's like, if you, if you shut up from time to time, you'll survive votes. Yeah. Although Karen is going to go out with a bang here. This is where we were introduced to Chaos Karen. Oh, Hashtag my God. Chaos Karen, where she's going to blow the lid off everyone at Tribal Council because she's had it up to here. It's all baloney. Yeah, apparently, like, and apparently this lasted for so much longer than any other Tribal Council, too, because Karen would just, like, she won't shut up. She's mad as hell, and she's not going to take it anymore. And I, it's, I mean, in, in the aired show, she laid everything out on the table. I can't imagine what more she had to say that led to, like, hours and hours of Tribal Council. Yeah, again, don't piss off a lawyer. I mean, they're just going to go nuts. And she's furious that Tom and Ian are double teaming everyone or promising deals that they don't keep and are playing both sides. So she just lays it out here and just totally destroys Ian and Tom as much as she can. And Tom, of course, blasts her right back that, oh, you know, Karen's been doing this. Karen Karen has a great quote. She gasps. She's like, oh, my God, Tom, you're such a liar. Yeah. Remember when she said she's a very good actress? <laughs> I, I'm, that is that is my that is my uh, my defense against that. <laughs> She's acting like an angry lawyer. <laughs> remember, she's, she's acting she's, like a seventh grader. Yeah, she's like comatose back home. Remember that? She just stares at the floor. Oh, that's true. She's very despondent. <laughs> despondent, that's the word. It must have felt very therapeutic for her to lay all that out. Oh, yeah. But then when you look at it, you're like, what, what were you hoping to gain from all this? Well, yeah, you have to look at common sense. Even though we didn't see how all this vote went down, you have to know she knew she was going home that night. She, this, isn't stuff, this isn't stuff she would have said if she thought she was safe. Yeah, especially since the vote was unanimous. Because like going into tribal council, it seemed like Karen, it was Karen and Jen versus Tom and Ian with Katie in the middle. But the fact that Jen joined in on them as well, it seemed pretty prevalent that everyone knew Karen was going home, including her. Yeah. Although Karen does have a great move here where she further damages Ian's reputation, although it's already taken a lot of hits, where she points out, she's like, you know, Katie, Ian only told you about the Greg vote right before... And the only reason was that was you wouldn't be able to warn Greg. He waited for the last minute for a reason. And Katie's like, oh, really? Because Ian wasn't admitting that. Ian was like, no, it was just timing. So Karen totally blows the lid off of Ian again. Ian wants to get a deer in headlights. Like, what the hell? <laughs> so, yeah, Karen absolutely goes out with a bang. Again, well, she, again, she goes out with a bang. I mean, I'm not saying what was the point with, with talking, because I, I agree with you that she knew she was probably going home, so she was just going to spill everything out. And, I mean, there, there's there's something to be said for just airing everything out there, but it's like, who is she trying? I mean, yeah, she, she, she sort of hurt Ian with that, with that comment with Katie, but it's like, what are you ultimately doing by this? Yeah, again, just therapeutic. She's just, she knows she's going out. She says, I think the jury deserves to hear this, and she just lays out all the dirty laundry, and it's, it's a fun tribal council. I know Karen doesn't have a lot of fans. I'm not really the biggest Karen fan in the world, but it is fun, again, when she goes into hashtag chaos Karen mode, and she just takes down everybody. And it's a, her final words are like, compare her final words to Kobe, Janu, Steph, and Greg, who all reflect positively on the experience <laughs> and say it's an honor that they've been you know voted out in the case of most of them except Janu because it, you know, they, they were definitely threats. Karen saying, well, they killed the messenger. <laughs> like she's so <laughs> spiteful in her final words. I'm like, yep, that's the impression you're leaving Karen. And that's the impression you'll always leave. <laughs> and I, again, I have to reiterate the story that she, they, they knew she was rich because in her sleep, she would yell at her housekeeper, <laughs> which I just think is hilarious. I heard another story too, that, that a lot of people in Palau tried to hide, like their personal lives, they would lie about stuff. Like Willard told everybody he was a mailman. And Karen wouldn't tell anybody she was a lawyer or wouldn't tell anybody that she was Jewish. 
which which is funny because like it seems pretty obvious she's just she was just by listening to her talk but kobe i remember kobe in some interview said that after the game karen runs up to him and says kobe i just want to let you know i lied i'm actually jewish and kobe's like well no shit of course you are <laughs> so it's just it's just if you're in the the facebook group previously on survivor we, we make that joke all the time where hey kobe this is x i lied i'm and then you just say something obvious about yourself like hey this is a hatch i lied i'm naked so it's one of those things what we do all the time, but that's that's another great Karen story that she she was trying to hide all the stuff about herself that most people could figure out pretty obviously. <laughs> so anything else to add about Karen? I'll give you one last chance, Mike. Good riddance. <laughs> Jay? If Mike had Karen's torch, he would just drop it in the water. <laughs> if I had Karen's torch, I would snap it in half and like <laughs> I would burn the torch itself, bury the ashes underwater, shit in the ashes, and then uh, pu- chew up some balut and regurgitate it into the into the canister. So you would take the Bo Jackson approach to yeah. <laughs> exactly. Good. Is that anything to say about Lucille, the lovable Lucille Bluth? No, no, I completely separate the lovable Lucille Bluth from <laughs> Karen Grodel. Well, you've definitely got a type. Well, all right. Speak, well, speaking, I, I like Karen. I like Karen. I'm going to say one nice thing. I liked Karen. So we, we, we were sad to see you go. Milford boys should neither be seen nor heard. And yet <laughs> speaking, we're going to get a lot of Ian in this final episode. Oh, I was going to say, speaking of Jen, <laughs> speaking of our quiet character. <clears throat> all right. Going into the finale. Final four. Ian, Katie, Tom and Jen. And Ian and Katie are both a mess again. Now, everything they'd patched up has now been undone because of Karen, and now they hate each other again. Yeah, and even even this like final four breakfast is like has a very awkward tone to it because it's still celebratory, but you can tell that like things have not been smoothed over. Yeah. Although um, Ian still thinks he's in good shape. He said, "You know, it's great. I took a lot of hits, but Tom is still the big man and the big threat, and that's great because you don't want to be the big man at this point." So. It's funny in, in Ian's naivete, he kind of thinks that the political hits he's taking are a good thing because now people might want to take him to the end. So he's like, well, that maybe wasn't such a bad thing last night, but it's going to get worse. So this is where, yeah, Ian talks to the two girls at the final four. He's like, Ian, Katie, and Jen all agree. Yeah, well, I'll vote for Tom tonight. And Ian's like, I don't have a problem with that. You know, we decided when we got down to the final four, it was game on, all gloves are off. So I got no problem. If Tom doesn't win immunity, I will vote out Tom tonight. And Add this to the list of things that Ian says that will haunt him later. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, Ian's like, I've been waiting all moment for this. He tells us in a confessional, I've been waiting all moment, all all season for this moment. We get down to the final four. This is my one chance to beat Tom. I have to win today. He can't win immunity. This is his big, Ian's been waiting for this. Uh, and guess what happens? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so the final four immunity challenge, this is where they... They uh, get the keys and the padlocks. They have to unlock all these locks. And then the final two people get on this flying fox and they race down and they have to get a combination for a box and open it. And it sure enough, it comes down to Ian versus Tom. And in Ian's one big moment where he still could have won the season, he loses and Tom wins immunity. Anyone else want Heidi to like make a, a surprise flying fox appearance? Yes. She just, I want she Heidi. Just... He- Go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's just a third line just appears and Heidi comes zipping by. <laughs> you know what i got there first i knew instantly i was the fastest flying fox <laughs> as soon as i saw the water i instantly knew i was gonna get wet <laughs> yes so 
Yeah, I think Heidi should make an appearance in every challenge, just a random cameo. All right, so Tom wins immunity, and now Ian, of course, is very giddy about it. He's like, well, Tom won immunity. Now I'm friends with him again. Now we're best buddies, and he's very very open about it to us behind the scenes. He's like, yeah, this is how it works. Now I'm his buddy. Yep, and so... Tom- yeah, so to, to start off, I mean, in Tom's view, Jen's the one to go, and they have one of the very rare scenes, especially seen on Survivor nowadays, of, like, the four of them sitting around and Tom saying, Jen, you're going to go. Yeah, as it should be. It was the three of them to the end. They made it. Jen knows it. She's like, okay, I mean, I understand how it works. I lost the showdown at six. It's, it's goodbye, and I have no regrets. And they all kind of hug each other, and it's kind of a nice moment. Yeah, and though, then, yeah, then, yeah, then Ian. Yeah, and then Ian. <laughs> Uh, though though Tom does pointly say in that scene as well, he's like, no, I'm not going to, because Jen tries to pitch getting rid of Ian to Tom initially, not really bringing up, and not really bringing up anything that was said. Uh, and Tom flat out tells everyone there, I'm not going to vote against Ian. I'm not going to betray Ian. So for for, for all the, the credit that we give Tom, he does do a little bit of double talk in this round as well. Well, was he, I don't think there ever was a point in this game where he was going to vote for Ian up to this point. So I think he actually is true there. He is being true. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just weird how it all I'm I'm still a little I don't know. I'm still questioning the decision to vote against Ian at the final four because I I don't believe that he thought Jen could beat him at the tiebreaker. Oh I no, I I think Tom was just pissed at Ian. Did he say that that it was strategy? Well I think well he claims that after the this vote happens that he comes back and says, like, "Oh, I made a mistake voting for you." But who knows with all the 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 t- BS that Tom did if that was actually a true statement whether he like actually regretted it or whether it was like a long con to to show Ian that he was pissed off at him. I would assume with Tom's savviness that it was probably what you were talking about. Yeah, it could be. So anyway, the uh the speech that we're talking about where Ian blows it again for the Fifth straight episode, Ian's going to say something and blow it. Uh, where Tom and Ian are having a little discussion, and Tom's like, you know, I was never going to vote for you. And and this is where Ian pulls an Alex Bell from uh, Amazon. And Ian's like, well, you know, Tom, if I'd won immunity, it would have been a really tough choice. Oh, my God, Ian. Yeah. Oh, Tom's, my God. Tom's like, wait, what? <laughs> and so I just wrote in my notes here, Ian is actually a horrible player. Wow. Uh. Yeah, yeah Tom, Tom's like, you know, this makes me think. This actually makes me think. Maybe he wouldn't have taken me tonight. Ugh. So, yeah. It's just bad. It's just not good. Like, this is stuff you say after the game. Like, yeah. It's just that stuff you say at the time. You know, and again, just, just, just like Alex Bell and Amazon, I can defend Ian a little bit that he's just trying to be honest. Like, he thinks honesty is the way to go. But you got to think about what you're saying. Yeah, and, and that's how Jen is able to find her little crack. And Tom goes to her, and Jen just spills everything that happens. And then what helps the situation is, again, Ian being honest, Tom goes to Ian to confront him about what happened, and Ian completely admits that that was true. Yeah. But let's not gloss over Jen here. Jen absolutely milks this perfectly. Tom's like, what was the plan tonight? And Jen's like, oh, you didn't know? Ian was with us. We were all going to vote you out. And then she's like, oh, Tom, you didn't know. Like, she's all surprised. Oh, like, I love it. She absolutely, you must be so hurt. Oh, I'm sorry we had to tell you. But yeah, she absolutely plays that perfectly. She's like, that was the deal, Tom. You were done. We had a vote. It was absolutely going to be you tonight. Which, like, you know, I, I mean, Ian admits to, but it's like, you know, in Tom's, in Tom's mind, you got to be like, well, that makes sense, right? I mean, it's just, 
and that's that's what Tom did in the in this season, and and that's something that doesn't necessarily fly in modern seasons. Is that he held his cards really close to the vest, and so he, you know, like like you were talking about Mike earlier with you and Mario, where he was like, did did Tom ever say he was going to vote out Ian? It's like maybe never, but it's like nowadays people theory craft in the game much much more than everything, and I think at this time Tom, you know, was just more like we'll just take it day by day and see what happens, and you know, he just. He would only let people know sort of what he was thinking some of the time. And that came into play here at the end because he's just like, Ian, I never told anyone I would vote for you. And I actually sort of agree that probably he didn't. But he was probably thinking it, but he never said it. And so then he can just ammo out on Ian about it. Absolutely. Although, again, in Tom's defense, you have to think of his profession, a firefighter, where they have each other's backs and stuff. So Mm -hmm. I could play devil's advocate. We don't know this for sure, but I have to think a firefighter is much more likely to team up with someone and be loyal and vo- and vow to stick with it and mean it just because that's what they do for a living. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and at this point, at this point, at the end, Tom seeing Ian just screwing up with Katie and all these other people, he's probably feeling pretty confident about taking Ian to the end. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, though, I mean, he's also a physical force and knowing how much of a, a rogue factor he's become, he becomes more of a dangerous person. So it just puts the idea in Tom's head further that he has to win that final three immunity challenge. Yeah. Yep, so we get to Tribal Council with Tom Immune and Ian and Tom now at odds, and Tom is just absolutely berating Ian, and Ian tries to defend himself, but he has no defense because no, he knows he's been caught, and he's one of those, he won't admit it. He's like, Tom's like, just admit it, and Ian, you can't, he, or maybe that's after the Tribal Council, I forget, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really harsh. This is a really harsh episode to watch if you're a fan of Ian. He's really absolutely getting brutalized, and then we go to the vote, and sure enough, it's a 2-2 tie to, uh, Tom decided to change his vote and vote with Jen, and they voted for Ian. Yeah. So we have an Ian versus Jen tie, which I'd actually forgotten about until I watched this. I forgot there was a tie there. And when you think about it, Katie is just sitting so pretty at this final three, because or at this final four, because she she sticks with Ian in, in the original plan, and, and Katie is the one that votes for Jen, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, both times, because it's 2-2. Ian and, Ian and Katie vote for Jen, and Tom and Jen vote for Ian, and then Obviously, Ian and uh, Jen don't uh, don't vote again because they're the ones up. And it's Tom and Katie that revote, and they stick to their original votes. Tom votes for Ian, Katie votes for Jen. It's like Katie could have switched her vote and just voted out Ian then, and then it's a final three of Tom, Katie, and Jen. Like she's she's friends with Jen, and Tom sees that you know she would be a better person to go to the end to probably than Jen. So it's like Katie is sitting really pretty here. Yeah, but again, if she if she was as tight with Jen as she said later, that must have been an agonizing choice for her. It must have been, but I mean, she she has to make a decision at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like waffling is all good, but I mean, this was she stuck to she stuck to Ian's guns here. Yeah, she probably thinks that Ian could win a final challenge, and just and and she could beat Ian in a jury vote because Ian's really taking some political hits here. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Jen, Jen's, they, Jen's a wild card because she hasn't she hasn't been under any fire at all, and yeah. you know she's got Greg over there. Like Jen's probably looking pretty dangerous. Yeah, so that's the thing. I, a lot of people think Katie just walked into a vote against Tom. No, she didn't. Not at all. I think that she wanted to take Ian here, and in fact, that's what anybody would have in her spot because she already isn't the most popular around camp. But she knows Ian at the moment really isn't popular around camp. So maybe we'll just go with that and see what happens. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not saying that Katie's sitting pretty as far as like winning goes. Again, I don't think, yeah. you know, at this point, Katie could, 
her best shot at winning is against Ian. And even then, you know, you could theory craft and make an argument, but it's like, I think if she goes with Jen, she loses. And obviously she goes with Tom, she loses. So it's not looking great at the moment. Yep. So we have the fire tiebreaker, the second one of the season, which is kind of interesting. And Bobby John loses. Yeah. Bobby John loses. Stephanie wins, and Stephanie wins this one. Bobby John's still there. <laughs> yes. Well, sir, I just can't get this fire to go break this rope. <laughs> and to be to be fair, Jen probably would have been there a while, too, because she wasn't doing too well. It's one of those very anticlimactic challenges because Ian lights his fire instantly and Jen hasn't even started yet. So it's really that's why I'd forgotten about this challenge, because it's over so quickly. And with all with all the historical fire challenges, like the Stephanie and Bobby John one, and then, you know, the the very infamous Cook Islands fire challenge yeah. and stuff like that, you get this one where it's Ian versus Jen and Ian just, just dusts her and you're like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and that's the thing with Jen. Like, she's kind of such a forgotten character. We'll get into her legacy in a minute. But, like, from her survivor perspective, she was a character no one remembered at the time. She has an absolutely anticlimactic ending that happens very quickly. She just disappears. So it's... It was kind of a perfect ending for her since she really made no impact on the season as a player at the right. time. Yeah, and, 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 and that's tough because she's the fourth placer. And, you know, usually even someone like Dara, who did not make the most memorable impact in the season, she at least had a few moments and a few key uh, victories and, and points in the season. But Jen, unfortunately, really didn't have a lot of that. And this is really one of the first examples we'll, we would see of like someone being completely under-edited who makes it really far into the game. Yeah, she was a major player. <laughs> you forget about that. She came, she got right to the end. She was in the final. A lot of people don't remember she was in the final episode. So I guess we got to mention it at this point. We've, we've successfully uh, negotiated a way around it all the entire podcast, not mentioning that uh, Jen, of course, died a couple of years ago. She was the, unfortunately, the first uh, Survivor alumnus to pass away, which is very shocking considering that there were 70-year-olds in the original season. And just older people, and then it was someone so young that unfortunately got cancer and passed away. But yeah, Jen, Jen has the uh, misfortune of being the first Survivor alumnus to pass away, and it was very sad at the time. She was pretty much universally respected. I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about Jen, either as a player in the game or outside the game. Everyone seemed to love her, and just a particularly unfair uh, fate for somebody that people seem to like. And again, uh, we didn't talk about it much on the podcast. We didn't want to bring it down, but yeah, that's. That, unfortunately, is Jen's legacy now that she passed away a couple years ago. She was the first one to go. And just a very sad story for someone who was apparently very well-liked. Not just a, not just a nice person uh, from all accounts, but, you know, even within the Survivor community. You know, she went to, whenever she went to events and stuff like that, she, you know, was, was apparently very, you know, open and, and, and gracious to all the fans and stuff like that. And, you know, that's always a good thing to see. Yeah, well, especially... It, it it goes to show comparing a lot of these early season survivors compared to like the modern survivors who are like you know expunging on social media for being edited incorrectly and you know harassing other survivors uh, through social media purposes like Jen Jen got the short end of the stick throughout this entire season we just talked about how she was completely under edited and then went out in this completely anticlimactic fashion she had maybe an episode and a half of good material to use, but she seemed like the most gracious, kind person. You just brought it up, Jay. She was still a huge fan of the show and went to all these events. And uh, like you said, Mario, we haven't heard a, we didn't hear a, a bad thing about her. So she was a, a class act all around. And it's always really nice looking back on those early days to find those people that were so 
invested in the life-changing aspects of being on this show that she really had no hard feelings for the way she was portrayed on this season. Yeah. And it just seemed just absolutely unfair, particularly in her case. I mean, my mom, she died of cancer, so I'm, I'm familiar with this. But my mom was also 60, so it's one of those. She lived a pretty successful life. She had, you know, grown kids and everything. But for someone that young and youthful and beautiful and healthy and, and well-liked as Jen, I mean, to get cancer and die at, like, what, 25 or something? That's just just particularly unfair. It's like no one ever would have predicted that someone like that would be the first survivor casualty. So it's mm-hmm. it's just one of those. Again, we don't want to bring down the podcast, but it's... You have to mention it. Everyone likes Jen. She's she was well respected before she got sick, and she's just I mean universally respected now. She's one of those survivors, like we said. I've never heard anybody say even anything even remotely negative about. Her. She was just a good person, and you know life just sucks sometimes. That's how it goes. All right, so we get to the final three. Yeah, let's let's move on from the depressing cancer talk to talk about Ian getting bullied. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, this will be a nice segue into. Katie, Ian, and Tom in absolutely one of the most memorable finales ever. I would say it's one of the best. I don't know if it's one of the most fun to watch, but it's like, wow, there's just an epic episode. There's so much going on here. And now it's just a personal grudge between Tom and Ian. And they get back to camp, and Tom and Katie are just berating Ian. And it's like, uh, <clears throat> Katie's like, you know, Tom stuck up for you, Ian, and he was always there for you. And how dare you would betray him, which. Yeah, I got to point this out. You know, Katie was out on in favor of voting out Tom several times a couple episodes ago. So I got to point out Katie's milking this a little bit here. And if Mm -hmm. she is, then more power to her because it's a fantastic political move. It's fantastic. She's absolutely milking it here. Like there is no there's no way she's not milking it here because she knows that she can guilt Ian to the fact that if Ian wins final immunity, there's no way he doesn't take her because she's going to guilt him. All the way. And then if she's sticking up and, you know, saying good things about Tom, you know, it's, it's all the more sense that if Tom wins the final immunity, then he takes then he takes her because, I mean, hey, Katie can win immunity, but probably not. So, you know, she's got to, you know, lobby for them to take her. Yeah, it's, it's one of one of those I was going to say. It's a it's a particularly dirty tactic I think she's using here. And it's kind of funny because you tend not to see females using particularly dirty survivor tactics. It tends to be more of a male thing, Johnny Fairplay, stuff like that. But if indeed she is milking this, this is one of the dirtiest things I've ever seen on Survivor. And again, I got to say more power to her because I love creative Survivor players. And if Katie indeed is milking this whole Ian thing just to get her own political power at the end here, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, well, we talked in the very beginning of the season about how you brought up Mario about the whole theory that Tom really bullied Ian and he was the one to make him quit. I would actually posit after watching this finale specifically that Katie was the big linchpin here, considering how close of a relationship Katie and Ian had, and we saw in the past couple episodes how tumultuous their relationship was and how they really had a, a rocky friendship and it really tore Ian apart to make her unhappy. So the fact that like, even though she voted with him, she was not on his side, I think that really tore him apart and led him to make this really questionable decision. Yeah, it's just a huge one-two punch for a guy who really probably couldn't take a one-punch even. But to have Katie, this girl who's like his best friend and maybe a little more there, I don't know. But And then Tom, this guy who seems he really seems to respect and like, they're just absolutely blasting him left and right, calling him a horrible person, questioning his honor. And, you know, Ian's in tears. He's like, I didn't come out here to be the bad guy. And that's what happened. He had no clue that he was the bad guy until right now. And, again, you can blame Tom. You can blame Katie. You could just 
flat out say Survivor's a horrible game, and this is what happens sometimes. With the, this is absolutely one of the most negative final episodes you'll ever see. Ian is just absolutely getting brutalized out there. Which is funny because if he has any sort of like global perspective on this, he's not the bad guy. Like, yeah, he made some bad decisions in within the context of Survivor in the sense that, you know, he didn't take Katie on the car reward. And, you know, he mentioned he wanted to vote out Tom at some strategic point in the game and it didn't happen. And then he told Tom, but it's like, you know, they're yelling at him for all these things. And he's like, I didn't realize I was the bad guy. And it's like, if you just if you just step out for a second and go, you know, they've done bad things, too. You know what I mean? Like, it's that whole compartmentalizing thing, but it's like he's in it. He's in that situation. They're talking. He's realizing, you know, the mistakes he's made, and he's been caught in lies and stuff like that. And, I mean, it just isn't playing good, playing nice with his head. Yeah. And, and I mean, the short story is they're just better at Survivor than he is. That's, oh, that's yeah. what it yeah. comes down to. He's, he's really not cut out for this part of the game, and to the point that I really feel bad that someone with his personality had to go through this. He was not cut out for this stage of the game. Ian was more naturally gifted to play Survivor than the other two, but he was worse at Survivor than the other two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And again, I've never heard anybody ever claim that Katie was a great player towards the end, but I think she's really pulling off some savage, dirty stuff here that is very, uh, I wouldn't say inspirational, but it's, it's very kind of refreshing to see a female kind of going for those dirty tactics that you tend to you see the male players use. She's, Katie's a very uh, unique sort of player. Yeah, even the next day after they eviscerate him the night before, he like wakes up and he calls it the, one of the worst nights of his life. And she's still she's taking digs, saying like, "Well, it was always my intention to take it to the final two. So she is like yeah. hitting the ground running from the moment he wakes up. <laughs> she hits him with the good cop, bad cop, where she plays both. Yeah, exactly. Oh, hi, Ian. I'll put a I'll come up and hug you. You don't have to sleep out here, honey. Like, just, she's got so much power over him. It's just kind of fascinating to watch. Katie's the best. I mean, I, I love Katie. I think she's just amazing. And again, I, I don't put her in some sort of pantheon of best players ever and stuff like that. And again, her game is, is, is one where if you duplicate her game, you will go far. You probably won't win. So it's like her game's not necessarily a winning strategy, but Katie played hard and Katie played well, I think. Yeah, she did. That, that's the one thing it was, I was, when we started this podcast, I said the one thing I want to see happen when we come out of this is I want Tom to be more respected as a great winner. But I changed my tune along the way. I want people to respect Katie as a good player. I like Katie. Katie's awesome. Uh, amen. All right, and now we get to the torch walk, which they go out and they paddle around the ocean and they put everyone's torch into the water, which is one of my little, one of my favorite comedic moments coming up here, which they alluded to earlier. Not, not so much a torch walk, but a torch paddle. Torch a torch paddle. paddle, I'm sorry. No, Again, I mean... Aside from your the moment you're about to mention with Janu, like this is a very awkward one, mostly because it's three Karor members, and it's about a string of seven or eight Oolong members who they really don't know outside of James's catchphrase. Oh my god! Ibrahim, <laughs> he was a Muslim. <laughs> That's all they know. Ashley, yes. she was in Survivor Palau. <laughs> yes. Ashley, yeah, she was top heavy. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, they you, go out and they... You, you get a lot of, you, get a lot of uh, you know, well, I didn't get to know you very well, but you seemed like a nice person. <laughs> well, to be fair, all they say about Kobe is Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. So I don't really know if they have much to say about anybody. It's because yeah. it was copyright laws, because the next part was, can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. Wow, Notorious B.I.G. reference, whatever, guys. Yeah, no, we're the whitest guys ever. There's no way we know that. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta say, I was more of a Tupac man myself. <laughs> yes. All right. So anyway, yeah, it's 
This is one of those uh, torch walk scenes. Some call it Fallen Comrades. Don't call it Fallen Comrades. It's not Fallen Comrades. So anyway, they go around. It's it's. There's some really particularly good music in this scene. I was watching this one. This one was particularly well done and pretty with all the shots of the torches sinking. And, and I do have to point out that in his final speech, Willard says it doesn't matter what he did in Survivor because he won the game of life, and that's the important part. So he's, he's a little unspoken tribute to Gene from Amazon right there. He won the game of life. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then for James, they say, ooh, doggy, which is great. And then, then we get to the point, again, I wrote about this on the Funny 115. I didn't do it justice in writing. It's so much funnier when you see it in person when, you know, they say something about everybody's torch, and they get to Janu, and Katie says nothing. She just takes the torch and slams it down in the water as hard as she can, which is, it's so perfect for the Janu-Katie relationship, and it's it's just kind of harsh that it's in there in Janu's tribute. There's nothing to say about her. They're just, whatever. Fuck well, me. and then there's a music shift, too. Like, there's, yeah. all this sort of thing, they, like, stop the music, kind of, and it's just, you know... You know, they kind of thong because you know the 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 thing hits the water and it kind of goes down to the ground. I mean, again, it's the it's the treatment where they're you know they really are piling on the fact that Janu quit because they're they're trying. I guess I guess they're trying. It's like when Austin quit, they were like, "Boy, we don't want this to be a precedent." So they like just bad mouthed him. They like threw his torch down. They tried to you know really say quitting is a bad thing. And so like you know we haven't talked about it, but every time the you know how, like, every time the jury comes in, you know, and Jeff Probst's like, we'll now bring in the members of the jury, and he says all of their names. And every time he gets to Janu, he always says, Janu, who quit? <laughs> he says it every episode. Notice oh, wow. it, and he just says, we'll now bring in the members of our jury. Kobe, Janu, who quit? Stephanie, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's always Janu, who quit? And so, you know, he's really, they're really trying to, you know, paint this as like Janu is a pride Janu is this quitter don't be a quitter and stuff like that and like they were really trying to combat future people to quit from like really showing hey it's not cool to quit but it's like enough people are gonna do it and it's it's just gonna open the floodgates sorry guys well it's funny that they wanted to make a statement about Janu with her torch and yet Katie was all too happy to help them out oh yeah <laughs> because Katie yeah. hates her anyway it's just a little, one of those little funny moments that'll always make you giggle when you see it. Just it's just so jarring to see in one of those torch walks. And then they get to Karen's torch, and Katie says, "You know, we had our ups and downs, but I genuinely liked her as a person." I'm like, "Really? <laughs> you really liked Karen as a person?" You, really, you realize Karen's not in the room, Katie. <laughs> yeah, I'd be curious to hear a follow up on that if they're hanging out all the time now. Well, you know, stuff like that might make TV. So you know, yeah, he's a great person. I really like that she sucked. So anyway, just one of those great torch walks. And again, I, I say this every season, but I'm always stunned when I hear that there's fans who hate this scene on Survivor, that they, they're they glad that they cut it out of the modern seasons. They're like, well, I, I hate those stupid memorial shots with the torches. I just go get go to the bathroom or get some food. I'm like, but that's such a, an important part of the season. It wraps up everything. It's just, I just don't get how people can't like these shot, these scenes. I love them. Yeah, it's, it's more shots of Bobby John going ape shit. Exactly. We haven't seen for like five or so episodes at this point. <laughs> you get to see him with the balloon again, right? I think so. Oh, good. Well, not only that, but it's just the fact that you know, yeah, okay. It's it sucks in a lot of in, in some in in some areas, just like with these three Koror members talking about the Oolong people that they never saw with the generic. Well, I didn't know you, but you seemed nice. But it's like what it does is it sums up the pack. I mean, the game is about outlasting other people you know surviving other people and it's like these people had to go in order for you to be here and it's that whole i mean i'm no i'm preaching to the choir i know but it's like 
people that don't like it, like this is a chance for them to summarize, you know, their pathway through this game because we look at it from sort of an outside perspective and we put our emotions on these people. We put our strategies onto these people, but these people are in this bubble of this game. And this is them having a little bit of catharsis, a little bit of release. And I think it's a really poignant moment for that, for that fact, you know, people don't like it. What are you going to do? And now we get to one of the all time great survivor challenges, the hold on to a buoy forever challenge. It's one of those things where like, it's not the most interesting to look at, but yet you have to watch this this challenge if you've never watched it. I mean, this is the endurance challenge to end all endurance challenges. Yeah, I, I believe it's the longest lasting challenge in like any major competitive reality show. There was a Big Brother challenge that went for like 10 hours, so some odd minutes. But this goes for 11 hours and like 45 minutes. Like that is <laughs> half a day this challenge took. I think it just beats out the Cook Islands fire tiebreaker between Becky and, what, Sundra? I think that was 11 hours, 40 minutes. This is probably why, you know, it's interesting as things go. But, you know, we talked about how, you know, endurance challenges a lot of times, like they had some really excruciating short ones like that one in Thailand. Um, I thought that the, the archery one in Vanuatu that we just went to, the warrior's pose, Mm -hmm. that was also a... That was an interesting sort of one that didn't last very long because it was sort of painful in and of itself. But, you know, they have, you know, keep your hand on the idol or, you know, some things like that where you're not necessarily super uncomfortable. It's like you're hanging onto this buoy and it's like it it seems slightly uncomfortable and you're bobbing up and down the water. But it's like I think that's why endurance challenges in Survivor today, they have some sort of ratcheting difficulty where they Mm -hmm. put you on like increasingly smaller planks because they just don't want you to be on there for 12 hours. Yeah, there was no catch to this one. although i think katie would disagree that it wasn't physically permanent or, uh, uh wasn't painful because her back was going out after five hours and that's the thing is that is that this comes down between tom and ian and katie drops out and you're like well katie she's not that great and Ch- katie held on to the buoy for five hours like yeah, that's pretty damn good that's awesome yeah she was out there longer than tina was out there on the poles in australia so just to put it in perspective but yeah that's the thing that uh this, this is one of those challenges that would be absolutely dreadful to watch. Like something that happens in person wouldn't be interesting, but on TV it's so much better. This is one of those things I wish they would have in every season, just some sort of endurance challenge because it's such amazing TV because you can ramp up the tension with the music, with the editing. It's just there's so much you can do with it. It always works out into an interesting scene. But yeah, I feel horrible for anyone participating in that challenge because specifically after Katie steps down at like four hours and 51 minutes, they then check in at the eight-hour mark and Jeff says, since Katie stepped down, nobody has spoken. So they sat for three hours in silence. And they're yeah. probably going to sit for another three hours in pure silence again. I could barely sit through Avatar and there was things I was watching. <laughs> Can you imagine standing there with nothing to do? You can't even make a sound for three hours? Yeah, Jeff was out there for, for half a day. Like, not really. Like, he didn't even imp- give that much input to the conversations that were going yeah. on. It was mostly Tom and Ian going back and forth. Yeah. Can you imagine Jeff trying to narrate this challenge? Ian, holding on. Tom, still holding on. <laughs> you do not want to let go of that buoy. <laughs> exactly. These guys are fighting. This is how you play the game. Now we're doing it like the Mayans. Oh, wait, that's next season. Ah, <laughs> uh, those, those, those Mayan buoys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so Katie drops out. Tom tries to make the deal, but Ian won't step down. No one will step down. Ian wants Tom to step down. Tom won't want Ian to step down. It's like, 
It's funny. You think they should go against each other in the final two. That's a fitting end to the season, but they just won't do it. No one trusts the other one to take them. What I love is that they're trying. Th- this is the whole thing of this challenge. Not not the twist. There is no twist. It's hang on to a buoy, but it goes so long that it goes into the night. They're supposed to go to tribal council, but they can't go to tribal council because they're hanging on buoys. Yeah, I think they. I think they benefited from the fact that this impromptu tribal council happened because, like, imagine like they would have to like. Wake up the jury and be like, "Okay, we're doing tribal council now." It takes another two hours to get to tribal council, and then they'll they'll finally make it happen. So, like, it would be a big to do to make tribal council happen right there and then. Yeah, and you're probably highlighting a big reason why they don't do long challenges like this anymore because it messes with their schedule. Yeah, exactly. Like, they this could have gone until like day forty one if they kept hanging on. Yeah, there was no reason. I mean, Tom said his feet were numb. And uh, Ian said he was feeling okay, but you could see him stretching and stuff. I mean, they were in pain, but they weren't in, in imminent danger of jumping off anytime soon. <laughs> so and this is we get a, one of the more uh, unique moments in Survivor history, one of the more fascinating moments, I think, and one that Ian, to this day, still takes a lot of crap for, which I think is unfair, where uh, Ian says, you know, I have a solution. He goes, <clears throat> you know, you're mad at me right now. Katie's mad at me right now. Everybody's kind of mad at each other. If I jump off, I want you to take Katie to the final two. He goes, I will give up the money to win back your friendship. And again, this is uh, such kind of a unique moment in Survivor history. I'm not sure anything like this has ever happened other than maybe Colby taking Tina to the end. It's just one of those, to this day, you'll see people say this was the stupidest decision in Survivor history or Ian made the worst strategic move in Survivor history. Ian was an idiot or, you know, Tom bullied Ian into quitting or just... You know, Ian was a quitter. People like to call Ian a quitter. I don't think any of those are true. I don't know what your stance is. People tend to have strong opinions about this scene one way or another. I've never faulted Ian for this decision. I love this decision. I think it fits the storyline and the story of Palau perfectly. I think the whole story was kind of leading up here to the end. I think it fits perfectly. I don't consider him a quitter. I think he just realized at a certain point he didn't deserve to win. And he's like, you know what? I screwed up. I don't deserve this anymore. I'll take myself out. I don't, I don't consider it bad, anything. I, like, I don't think he made a mistake. He knew exactly what he was doing. I don't think he screwed up at all. I just think he made a choice, not a mistake. And, you know, he, he seemed to live with it fine, and I think people should stop criticizing for it. It's just something that happened when people are going half crazy in a very cruel game sometimes. Yeah, Here's my... Uh, here, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you do. Uh, I, I do agree. I... I'm not going to fault Ian for it. And I think the fact that he is still, to this day, I mean, I listen to the commentary, talk to him now, he's still defending his decision. I think that is, I think that speaks fully to how satisfied Ian is. And I agree, Mario. I mean, like, especially in these early seasons, not everyone wanted what they signed up for, especially in this season when you have people asking to be voted out and people quitting the game. People went out for very different reasons. And Ian realized that this is a game that I don't want to play. And I agree. I think from a story perspective, this was amazing. It's almost like a Janu type of thing of like, he went there, he came to, had his come to Jesus moment and he realized what he wanted to get out of the game. And as a result, he kind of decided to not necessarily quit, but like make make his own power play in a way. And I think it was such an interesting story element and it really got people talking for a variety of reasons. And I, I have to say, I love these these facets of these seasons these like individual moments and these emotional moments because as you talked about before this is we're not playing chess these aren't 
chess pieces. These are people, and we're dealing with people's emotions and their rational and, ir- and irrational moves. And I think what Ian did is a key facet of why I, I still and always will love the show Survivor, because these are real people out there making decisions that resound in their hearts. And I feel like Ian made a decision that still resounds in his heart to this day. Let me ask you one question right now, and then I will respond with my answer to was this a dumb move or not. This is my question. If Ian wins this immunity and he takes Katie to the final two, who wins? Uh, That's an interesting one. Let's just say, let's just say, all things considered, everything happened. And then when they're bargaining back and forth and, you know, Tom's like, come on, Ian, step down. And Ian just says, no, screw you, Tom. We're going to the end. And Tom somehow drops off and Ian wins. And then they have an impromptu tribal council and Ian says, I, I vote out Tom. And they go to the final two, Ian and Katie. Who wins? You know, the common wisdom, I've heard people say this before, is that Ian would dust Katie. Yeah. However... Tom would absolutely not be happy with Ian, and Tom would be a very influential juror. And I know it's that people don't like hearing the stuff like that, that jurors go back there and try to poison people from winning the game. But I wouldn't want someone as influential as Tom who, who was that mad at me being on that jury right then. That's kind of what I think, too. I don't necessarily think that it's a slam dunk that Ian wins Survivor. I, I can't say for sure that he would also that he was also drawing dead. Either I think yeah. that I think that if Ian and Katie go to the end, I, I would say the odds are better that Ian wins, but it's it's close. It's very very close. That being said, the the mental strain on Ian to be in that situation to like win the challenge, then have to vote out Tom, then have to go to the final two with Katie, say bad things about Katie, or at least try to defend himself against Katie and a jury to win the million dollars and then winning the million dollars might've been too much for him. Yeah. You know, it's in, and a lot of people would say, well, that's stupid. You're trying to win the game. You're trying to win a million dollars. You just got to do what you got to do. I know, but I don't know if Ian could have done it. So, as far as personally for Ian, I think he made the right decision for him. I mean, when people say it's it's a really stupid game move, the answer to that question is, yes, it is. But for Ian, it was probably the best move for him in his mental state, in his state of being. And the fact that, you know, like you said, they probably had to go to therapy and talk th- talk this out because – this messed some of these people up. And I know that this game sort of probably messed Ian up a little bit. You could tell he was affected by it. And, you know, I'm sure that the decision that Ian made and the, you know, the fact that he could continue on with his life is probably been beneficial to him. So I can't say that this was a poor decision for Ian for just the game of survivor in general. Yeah. Not the best move, but I think that for Ian, it was the right move. Yeah, you look at his eyes and kind of looks on his face the last day or so of Palau. He looks like Kathy in a Jerry and Marquesas. Just she looks like her. She just snapped. She's got yeah. that dead look in her eyes, and Ian had that too. It's and it's funny that how happy he was about the decision to quit and get his honor back and make all these friends again, which again seems silly if you're not in the game of Survivor. Like who cares about that stuff? But like I've been through this before. I've seen this look before. It's people that are in a job they absolutely hate. It's just soul-crushing every day of their life. It just murders their sanity. And then one day they decide to quit. 
and you've made that decision, okay, this isn't going to bother me anymore. And they're just at peace with it. It's happy because all of a sudden all that grief has been taken away, all that weight off their shoulders. That's kind of what Ian looks like. He's he's perfectly happy quitting. He's like, I don't want to play this game anymore. This is about to damage me permanently. I can't handle this anymore. I'm done. So, again, I, I don't think it was a bad move at all. I think it was perfect for him, and I think he probably needed it. You're only going to do something like that when it gets to a really desperate place in your sanity. Like, I think he was going crazy. Yeah, right. I, I agree. And this, and this is something that we will, we will not really see again. We'll see people make weird decisions at the final three to, to take someone to the final two for different reasons, but like this is the first and maybe only case of like someone's mental stability really coming into play in the final three. And it's a weird subject that doesn't get traipsed much but I mean, like, like you said, Mario. I mean, looking looking at him even on day thirty nine in that jury, he looks so out of it and so far removed from the game. And at that point, I think he just wanted to to leave and get away from this game. Yeah, it shows it shows a great deal of maturity that he could make that decision. You know what I mean? That he could see that that it would be better for him to do that because, like we said, it's it's the wrong game move, and not only the wrong game move, it's not a good game move because it literally is killing your game. But for him, for him in that moment in this game, I think he needed to make it. Yeah. And he did, which is, which is great for him, I think. And it, yeah. it says a lot. I think it's incorrect to say, people will say, well, he chose friendship over the game. No. I don't think that's true at all. I no. think he chose sanity over the game. So if that's your criticism, that well, he, the guy's an idiot. He just chose, chose friendship and respect. I don't think that's the correct criticism. I think he's choosing sanity, and he's just working the only way he knows how, which is, I need your respect back, or I'm going to go nuts. Yeah, it's just a, it's a tough one. And, and you know, this always gets listed when people say the stupidest survivor decisions, the biggest mistakes. Again, this isn't a mistake. This wasn't stupid. This is well thought out and you might not agree with it but he knew fully he knew full well what the ramifications were just like colby knew full well what the ramifications of taking tina were and it's not a mistake it's a choice he just chose something other than i have to win survivor at all costs so i I think you got to respect that i would put it on different lists like if you were saying dumbest decisions in survivor history i don't think it's a dumb decision If, if you're saying like dumbest you know or you know Biggest mistakes again. I don't think it's a mistake, but if you were going to say like dumbest game moves in Survivor, yeah, it's a dumb game move. Yeah, yeah. moves moves that cost people the game. This literally cost Ian the game because it chose him to get voted out. So therefore, it would be on that list. But I agree. Like, it's not a mistake. It's not a gap. It's not a dumb Survivor move because we can't put ourselves in Ian's head. And he is happy with this decision. It's completely sound for him. He seemed to be in a right body and spirit when. He, after he made the decision, so all the power to him. And then it goes back to, do you think Katie and Tom need to take some blame for forcing Ian into this mindset? That's the one thing people want to hear our opinions are, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure that uh, uh, mental health is, is, is a very serious thing, and it's, it's something that we're very, very much glossing the surface on. But, you know, Ian's head was not in a right space and it was for a variety of reasons and a variety of people. And I don't think that Tom and Katie necessarily helped the situation, but I don't know if that if you can heap all of the, you know, everything that was going on with Ian on them, I think yeah. that's s- yeah. pretty unfair. Yeah. I think you got to put the blame on survivor, not on them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. To blame the Corvette. <laughs> I blame Karen. I blame Eliza. <laughs> oh, we're going there? Okay. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we are uh, right. They hold the tribal council right there on the dock. And 
Ian has voted out, and Tom, I love Tom's quote here. I'm going to vote out my buddy Ian. He's my a hell of a guy. Yeah. yeah, that's it's just a nice little moment. Again, if you don't like that that scene, if you think Ian was an idiot, you won't like that. If you have some sympathy for Ian, that that almost brings a tear to my eye. That little quote: "I'm going to vote for my buddy Ian," or "Vote out my buddy Ian." I, I just like that little scene, and then that's it. Ian goes to the jury, and it's now Tom against Katie, and maybe the most lopsided final two ever. Oh boy. Oh man. And again, not 100% Katie's fault. <laughs> it's a lot of it's just Tom is really good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Katie, Katie, Katie did well to get where she was, but you know, you're going against the final tribal with Tom. I mean, Tom is Tom checks a lot of boxes. I mean, he's he 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 was the leader of this tribe that that decimated the other tribe. I mean, you know, the other tribe was terrible, but hey, Tom, you know, led led them to it. He won a lot of challenges, and he was nice around camp. He was nice to people. He, you know, did things. I mean. There's a lot going in Tom's in Tom's direction. So I mean, Katie is has done all right, but I mean, her resume right now is not looking as good as Tom's. And on top of that, Tom's just kind of a badass when he needs to be. He'll play dirty. So if Katie goes dirty at the final tribal council, he's going to match her, and she probably knows that. Yeah, and she, and she alludes to before tribal council about how she's going to try to bring out this dark beast in Tom, but like clearly showing from the past couple episodes, Tom knows he has his, that dark beast. And he's going to bring it. He, he's more than happy to bring it out. Her best strategy was probably to get him liquored up before tribal council because, you know, yeah. he didn't do too well with that at the, <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the merge feast there. He's a lightweight. All right, so we get to tribal council. Katie goes in there waving and trying to be all friendly with her friends, and she is absolutely not ready for the fact that they were going to decimate her. <laughs> yeah. And I, yep. See, I think this is almost as hard to watch as the Ian stuff. Katie just gets blasted, and she has no clue it's coming. Well, specifically starting out with Kobe and Greg, and I mean Kobe's statement is one thing. She flat out tells he flat out tells Katie, "If you get my vote, it's not because it's it's I respected your gameplay. It was because I hate Tom." And then you have Greg actually call her pathetic, and you can see the moment in her face when like she just goes crestfallen and she starts to realize, "Oh, this is a much steeper uphill battle than I initially expected." I remember at the reunion show, Greg even says. Yeah, I feel bad that I blindsided Katie because we were totally friends. Like we, I never said a bad thing about her in the game. So that completely came out of nowhere. And Greg's like, I just felt like they needed to squirm in the final two a little. But he goes, I kind of feel bad about it now. But he just absolutely blasts her, and she doesn't see it coming. Yeah, just just to preface, Kobe's question wasn't really so much a question; it was a statement. He basically said that every his vote was hinging on Tom. He wanted Tom to tell the truth in this tribal council and not, you know, be a, be a big liar, phony guy. And if he felt that way, he'd get his vote and it was totally not on Katie. But as I've said in previous tribal council, final tribal councils on survivor historians, if someone comes up to final tribal council and says your name, have you done anything around camp or anything at all that I could, that I could point to, to vote for you? You're not winning. I mean, that is that is GG. That is the death knell right there. And multiple people said that to Katie. I mean, it was it was brutal. Yeah. And again, this is one of those things a lot of people don't remember. They just remember Tom winning. Like Ian gets this absolutely humiliating ending, and then Katie gets the absolutely humiliating ending in the same episode. It's like wow. And she just yeah, she gets blasted to the point that she seems kind of broken too by the end where. You know, she won't even answer Janu's question. She kind of snaps at Karen. She can see where this is going, and she was not ready for this at all. Yeah, though, though to be fair, Tom Tom gets put on blast too, and I feel like like this is like the third final tribal council in a row where both people just get like 
eviscerated. But much like Chris last season, Tom navigates his way through the BS, specifically with that Karen question. Oh, man. Does he, does he find a way to answer <laughs> that one? I'm going to let you answer that with your heart. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it was, he was one sentence away from I brought your hat. <laughs> but that's why you cast Karen. I mean, Karen's terrible, and, and for the most part, in, in a regular season, she probably doesn't even make the merge. And I'm not even like particularly glad that she did, but it's like if you get Karen on the jury and have her ask a jury question, you know stuff's going to go down. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that whole tribal council, it's brutal. It brings it. It's really a great finale, but it's not fun to sit through. You know where it's going. You know Tom's going to win. <clears throat> it's uh, the closest thing to a shutout we had until Earl. And we had Jenna was 6-1 and then Tom 6-1. So those were the big two blowouts at the time. Sandra 6-1. Oh, Sandra six one and Danny six one. Okay, so it actually happened quite a bit. So never mind. So yeah, so you know Tom just waltzes to a win. They go to the, the vote reveal, and it's it's all exactly as you figured. Tom wins, and Tom becomes a very well respected winner of Survivor, and uh, absolutely as dominant a winner as you think he is, just in different ways. He had way more challenges than you remember, and he's also a lot less squeaky clean than you remember, unless you're one of those guys who hates Tom. And then I point out he's actually better than you think he is. Could you imagine if Tom, the New York fighter fighter, lost when the reunion was held in New York? That would have been a hate crime. I mean, that would have started a war. Yeah, that was, that, the riots would have broken out. Yeah, Katie just didn't have a chance. She got to second place. She played a great game. She just ran up against a juggernaut, and that was about it. She would have beaten some other people that made the final two. I, I'll say that, Ellen, anyway. She beats Nalia, probably. I think one of the disservices of having seasons and especially having people go on Survivor a second time or a third time or a fourth time and things like that is that, you know, people lose context with these single seasons and stuff like that. So when people talk about who's the best Survivor player of all time, like a lot of people say, well, Boston Rob is. And it's like, hey, Boston Rob played a pretty good game of Survivor in Redemption Island, and he played a pretty good game of Survivor in some other seasons, but he had four seasons, <laughs> you know? Like, and, and it's not the same. And then you look at somebody like Tom, and yeah, Tom came back in Heroes vs. Villains. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of that. But I think people forget Tom's game in Palau. You know, they just think, oh, Tom, he was, you know, the, 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 the real alpha male that, that won Palau. Yeah, he's a good guy. And it's like, Tom was an incredible player in this season. He did so many good things, not just, you know, well, he was Tom. He did other, he did all these things in the game. He made moves. He had to placate people. He had to strong arm people when he had to. You know, did he make all the right moves at all the right times? No. Was he in trouble some of the time? Yes. But he still navigated his way through this game. It wasn't a cakewalk, and he had to employ some strategy. Tom's a great winner, and, and I, I'm not going to say greatest of all time or anything like that, but Tom is a very, very, very good winner of this game and played a very good game. And I think that people forget that, and they shouldn't. Yep. And he checks off a lot of boxes, too. He's, he's the first real older male winner that we've had. And he was, I mean, you can make some arguments for someone like Heidek, but he's really the first, like, mm -hmm. alpha male flat-out leader of his tribe from day one, physical asset who actually won the game. And that speaks volumes. You know, we talk a lot about in Modern Survivor about, you know, Jeff's man crushes and these alpha males that go really far into the game, and some of them end up winning. But, like, 
Tom was the first one to do it, and he really paved the way to win. Like we brought up earlier in this podcast, Tom brought up the fact that like nobody had really done that before. He was the very first person to do it, and that put a, uh, an image in a lot of people's eyes of like, oh, so you really can be a challenge beast and be a, a, a leader and be able to win this game. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. He's one of those guys, they're not supposed to win Survivor. No one ever had. I mean, Richard was older, but he wasn't an alpha male. He was he was kind of an outcast in a way. But yeah, no, Tom was one of those guys. He broke the mold. He was the first of his kind. He was, without question, one of the most universally respected Survivor winners at the time. He was for a long time. It was a it was a huge get when he was announced in the Heroes versus Villains cast. You got Tom, like the amazing Tom from Palau. So it's a, he's one of those guys. I wish his reputation would get restored a little, just like Stephanie. I wish the two of them would be remembered more for how important Palau was at the time and how important they were to Palau. And I think with that, we may have finished Survivor Palau. Wow. We didn't quit. <laughs> we didn't quit. That's good. We're not Janu the quitter. Well, I, I rolled my ankle before, so I'm, I was thinking about bowing out. <laughs> oh, my God, Mike. You're such a liar. <laughs> not only did we not quit, we may come back next season. Oh, Guatemala, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, everything you liked about Stephanie from now up till this point, Let's we're going to change that real quick. Oh, my God. I guess we need to do a little preview here. But, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll pretty much say it. We're, we're going to come back for Survivor Guatemala at some point. And, uh, oh, my God, Survivor James 11. <laughs> James Bond will return. Oh, man. This, this, is, this is really interesting, though, because I feel like starting with, with Palau, we start to get into Survivor's experimental years, which I feel like runs from, like, 10 to maybe, like, 14 or so. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent for Guatemala. I think that from a strictly a character perspective, the pairing of Guatemala and Panama is absolutely amazing. So I'll stick up for Guatemala anytime. And I think... Uh, it's going to be, there's, there's going to be a lot to talk about with it. Maybe not so much from a strategy perspective. Uh, there are a few moves here and there, but man, from a character perspective, there is, there's a wealth of information. Yeah. I was going to say, I have very mixed feelings about Guatemala. It's I've long said it's the most average survivor season. If you wanted to rank everything about every season, Guatemala is always right in the middle of everything. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just kind of there. No one ever remembers it. So it's one of those, I don't, I'm not really super attached to but it has a lot of funny moments and funny characters, and I will could not be more excited to talk about Bobby John some more and then throw some Judd into the mix and maybe some Jamie, who is horribly underrated, and then uh, Brandon, the other guy, I think is really underrated. <clears throat> so there's some really cool stuff in Guatemala. I just don't think it's, it's – it doesn't really resonate with people. It's one of those – I think I know one person who would rank it as their favorite season. And I don't know anybody else who even rank it like in their top five or ten. It's just kind of there. But I have – I've mentioned this before. I have a lot of history with Guatemala and – a lot of people think I'm going to trash it because I'll just kind of give my story here that I I knew Rafe Judkins, the major, probably the major character of Guatemala. I knew him before he was on Survivor. We run online role playing games together. He wrote Survivor stories just like I did. We wrote for the same website. I knew him very well. I didn't really get along with him all that well. In fact, we had a couple of feuds, so I'm not the biggest fan of Rafe. But I will say when he came back from playing Survivor from Guatemala, he took me aside because Rafe knows Rafe knew like many of the fans at the time he, they knew how Survivor works. The the alumni weren't really allowed to talk about Survivor back then. The, the the contracts were very strict; you couldn't talk about it. So he knew he needed people on the message boards to kind of tell his story. 
and he knew me as the big one of the big survivor writers at the time. He goes, you have a lot of readers. You have a lot of influence. He goes, I would love to tell you what happened in Guatemala. I can give you all the behind the scenes dirt, all the details. Basically, I was his survivor biographer. He told me everything that he wanted to be told about Guatemala that he couldn't say specifically. So I know a lot of Guatemala stuff. Again, I'm not the biggest fan of Rafe. We don't always get along. But I know a ton of stuff about this season in particular that you won't really hear on other podcasts or you won't really see in any other interviews. So there's, I have an interesting perspective on this season, and especially when we get to the end, some of the decisions Rafe made towards the end, I think I can put them in a perspective that make a lot more sense that will explain how this season worked out than, other than how you saw it play out on TV. So again, it's not my favorite season. It's not a season I particularly love, but I think it will be a good podcast because there's a lot to talk about. So expect a lot of Mario. Yeah, talking, yeah. About, talking about how important he is. So, yeah. so yeah. you know, the return of the Mario Lanzer insider perspective. <laughs> so, 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 stay tuned for that. That'll be great, Mike. Remember, grab your pillow <laughs> and and hit the mute button at appropriate times because that's that's how we survive these things. But uh, Guatemala is mixed for me as well because I agree with you, Mike. There are some great characters in Guatemala. Um, you know, you, you meant, you know, and Mario mentioned Jamie and Judd, you know, and then Stephanie and Bobby John coming back. But you didn't even mention Gary Hogeboom. Oh, come on. <laughs> Which is like the best ever. I mean, are you kidding me? That's the best thing ever. And I mean, you've got you've got the, the car story with Cindy. I mean, you have got like. Like incredible stuff. You know, yeah. all, going all around. But the problem is, is that this is one of these seasons where it also we've we've we're sort of transitioning slightly in Palau and slightly in things. We get to this point where like some people are getting super ignored. Like in in earlier seasons, you know, people weren't as ignored as they were, and it's like there's a lot of people in Guatemala that you just do not see and you don't remember, and they disappear from sight right away. And I think that kind of sucks. You know, Jay, if you love Gary Hogaboom so much, you can get his autograph after the podcast. I could. Central Michigan's not too far away from where I live. Yeah, he'll be landscaping there, right? Yeah, exactly. Hawkins Landscaping. Actually, he's from Grand Haven uh, or so, which was which is even closer to me. But, uh, you Do know. You stalk, stalk him much? No. What's your social security number? You know that, too? Wow. <laughs> I, I just uh, – everything about Gary Hogaboom in, in Survivor Guatemala is just instantly funny. Like just the fact that like he's denying it and then, you know, just effectively like, oh, you know, did you go to Central Michigan? Well, yeah, but I'm not him. <laughs> yeah. I'm the other nine-foot-tall Gary that looks exactly like Gary Hogaboom. Yeah, see, that's, that's the thing. I think from like – even from our from our podcasting perspective, I think Guatemala is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. I mean like Palau – I guess wrapping up Palau was definitely an interesting season. I think we found a lot of leverage towards the end when people were doing interesting things. But there really aren't that many – there's like a handful of people, really interesting people to talk about. Guatemala, I feel like right off the bat you have a, a, a at least like half the cast are, are full of quirks that you can at least – talk about so it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun talking about this season one thing i will say about guatemala is even though i don't really love it or hate it it's kind of right in the middle for me i love the location and so i'm really interested to go back and watch it again that i love the mayan runes i love how they work the the culture into the into the season i think there's a lot of cool stuff in there again home run right i mean survivor palau home run for the theme we mentioned it in uh in the first uh survivor palau podcast just 
real big win with the World War II theme, you know, the ammo boxes, the canteens, you know, just the challenges, they all sort of make sense. And it's like with the with the Mayan theme, again, home run on on that as well, you know, and and obviously a theme is pe- something people don't deem important anymore and so they don't really go with it. But back in the day, I think I think a theme to the season is 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 a good thing and and, and a bonus and Guatemala's got a good one. They got to live on freaking Mayan pyramids. How I know, can you go right? wrong with that? And you know, the shame is, though, that this is going to be the last season with a really good cultural theme. I think maybe China, you could argue, does that, yeah. but Guatemala is really the last one where it's, yeah, but it's here's a huge the, character. Here's the thing about China is that they're in China, which is cool. They visit the Great Wall of China for reward, which was cool, but then they have things like, you know, firecrackers and, you know. <laughs> Chop, giant chopsticks. Uh, giant, I mean, like, they went really awful for some of that. This challenge, you dress up like Mickey Rooney and speak in a racist accent. <laughs> Uh, the Breakfast at Tiffany's challenge. That's I was right. Say the Breakfast at Tiffany's reference. Wow. Yeah, Jay's dropping hardcore rap. I'm going Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> All right. So I think that's it with uh, Palau. We were too lazy to gather uh, listener questions for this one, although hopefully we answered everything <laughs> you wanted to to know about Palau. And also, viewers, are you that or listeners, are you that sh- shocked that we were too lazy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's you know the temp. We really the temp drags us down. Sorry, guys. Uh, you can't you can't vote me out yet, though. Not until the not until the absorption. <laughs> if you quit, you get our friendship and respect back. Oh, all right. It's been it's been what like eight months at this point. I'm stepping off. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Eight months. That's like a solid two episodes there, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, the thing with Guatemala is I don't own Guatemala yet. Uh, it's on my Christmas list. So it may be a while before I get to watch that one. So I don't know when the next podcast will be. Uh, well, if it's Christmas, it's right on time, buddy. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. One month to the day. It should be the next one. <laughs> Almost one month. Although if you listen to this two years from now, that reference will make no sense to you. Yay, timeless podcasting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. So uh, anything else uh, you guys want to say about Palau before we wrap up and uh, stick a fork in Ian because he's done? Um. Again, I mentioned it uh, before on previous podcasts and whatnot. It's just a weird season. I always put a weird asterisk by it because it's just it's it's just a, a survivor season it's it's a thing we needed to see we needed to see one tribe decimate another tribe just to say that it's it's happened before but it's just a really odd season and even just the fact that we get the male alpha dog winner you know i mean that was odd for the time it's just it was very bizarre season but i'm glad we had it yeah me too i think uh, I think one of the reasons why it also became very popular amongst the the mainstream at that time was because it had a lot of firsts and like it was kind of a brown, groundbreaking season in that regard. Looking back on it now, uh, I feel like it, it got off to an interesting start to begin with. Then as soon as we knew that Oolong was doomed, it kind of fell into a lag. And then, you know, I talked about it before. These last three episodes, and you could even extrapolate that really from like the Janu quit on this season gets surprisingly really, really good, and it delves into some really interesting issues and some characters really come to the forefront. So I think the season ends, actually ends, it comes to a really fiery end. Granted, a really uncomfortable end, but, like, it goes out with a bang. So, like, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of an uneven season, and like you said, Jay, it's, a, it's an outlier season, but it, it's a very important season for the Survivor history. Yep, and I just add the same thing. It's, not, again, not my favorite season, but I got nothing for respect for it. It has such a fantastic ending. It's got some really fascinating issues and players and kind of uh, interactions that come up at the end that you maybe have never even seen in any other season. So it's just a unique one. I'm glad it happened. There's no other season like it, and 
I just want to give uh, Ian and Katie a hug after watching the end of that season. It's just a horrible, brutal ending. And I think with that, we are done with Palau. We will move on to Survivor Guatemala. Again, if you want to uh, contact us, if you have any feedback, if you have any requests, if you have any questions, you can email us at survivorhistorians at gmail.com. We uh, take turns responding to the email. So if you're lucky, your favorite historian will respond to you or Mike might respond to you. So, uh, <clears throat> sorry, had to go there. But it's yeah, so, fine. <laughs> so, yeah, so feel free to email us. Uh, we'll be back with Survivor Guatemala unless we do something in between Palau and Guatemala. I don't know if we can put something together, but we will be back soon. And thank you for listening. And we will see you when we uh, go to Guatemala. Thank you. Goodbye. I'm psyched. I'm totally psyched. This is really working out well. I think we can pull this off. I really do. Because you know what? I'm a very good actress. Very, very good.